Well, once we all knew of episode 22 Of a podcast called We Have Such Films The chainsaw got stayed, a whole fortnight delayed When the hosts changed their pick on a whim They queued up instead a film Yakov had read Was a slasher that took place in mines Back in old lady one, it was classically dumb It's the tale of my bloody valentine Oh, the movie they say set on Valentine's Day Was a film that went on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Why the theme song rhymed on with a go Well, Axel went mad and blonde Sarah was sad T.J., the prodigal son And the sassy best friend Met a bloody old end She foreshadowed back during Act One Oh, the movie they say Set on Valentine's Day Was a Canadian Friday 13th And it seemed to be clear That Moosehead was the beer That got drunk and rhymed on with and it seemed to be clear that Moosehead was the beer that got drunk and rhymed on with a go. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of We Have Such Films to Show You. Uh, this is the surprise switcheroo episode where we changed our mind uh, a few days before recording this and said, no, let's not do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's celebrate Valentine's Day. By doing My Bloody Valentine. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and we'll talk about Texas Chainsaw next fortnight. Uh, I am, of course, your host who's currently talking, Josh Millard. And I'm the host that isn't talking, but is talking now, Yaakov. Paradox. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Josh, so I, I actually I, I have some good news for us. Yes. Um, so as Finally, you are, some good news. Right? I mean, after all... <laughs> All this awful, awful news. My, the, the, this podcast, my arm fell off because of this podcast. <laughs> I found out that I'm not actually a human being, just a fictive you know, element of someone else's imagination because of this podcast. I have leprosy. Yeah, and we're both still dying on a cot in, in uh, Vietnam. Was it Vietnam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. yeah. So, but other than that, yeah. some good news? Yeah, but we, we have some good news. So as, as the listeners might know, um, this podcast is – it's a labor of love. We, we don't get paid for it. Um, I don't know if you have some sort of a frequent flyer program at your video store, but you know, our Netflix subscriptions aren't, uh, aren't subsidized or anything. Um, you know, We put our own time and our own money into this. I, I had to buy this, this headset, which cost, I mean, boy, $20, $25. Uh, you, are, um, you are in the hole on this. Right. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're we're running at a loss here. I should but disclose at this point. I get paid a great deal for this podcast. Actually, I I assumed. Yeah, sorry. Please, I <laughs> I got nowhere to go with that. I just wanted to be a pain in the ass. I'm I'm, I'm interrupting your actual thing, so I want to know where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, this um, is not yeah, so, a prearranged bit. I have no yeah. idea what he's talking about. So I have some very good news. Um, we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Yeah, and um, yeah, they, they contacted me very recently. Uh, they said that they wanted to sponsor this show. 
Um, and, you know, I, I would have run it by you, but it was just so recent. And, and I couldn't imagine that you had a problem with, with this sponsor. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, where we're going to be, you know, giving an ad for, you know, John's Nazi regalia store because you vetoed that. Um, but They do have some nice regalia. I, I, I have I have ethical problems with it, but the quality of their product, say what you will about the tenets of John's Nazi regalia, at least it's, uh, you know, 100% cotton, USA grown. Exactly. But, um, yeah, so we, we have this new sponsor, and uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the ad copy. Just do it, do it. Okay. <clears throat> Tired after a long day at the coal mine? Or maybe you're throwing a uh, party in the coal mine rec room. <laughs> or perhaps you're just going on the worst advised beer run in history. If you're any of these things, or maybe just thirsty, try Moosehead Beer. Moosehead Beer is grown in, whoops, sorry, brewed in, uh, directly in Canada, and uh, it's delicious and refreshing. So remember, that's Moosehead Beer, the beer you associate with murder. Um, and that's our new sponsor. That's very Moosehead exciting. Beer. That's, that, that really that ties in very well with this movie we watched. That, what an odd coincidence. I, uh, Isn't it, though? I look, I look forward to being paid in, in massive 1981 Canadian dollars. We also have this giant glowing neon sign. <laughs> <laughs> So this is, I, I feel like this is one of those episodes that we may have a higher proportion of, of listeners who did not actually watch the movie than some of the other ones. Like, I feel yeah. like probably almost everybody who listened to the Ringu episode probably saw Ringu or, or The Ring. Uh, fewer people, especially with short notice on the switcheroo, may have yep. bothered to actually track down My Bloody Valentine, or maybe they could only track down the 2009 uh, remake in With 3D. Jensen Ackles from Supernatural. Really? Now I, have to, mm-hmm. now, now I do have to see it. Uh, but yeah, so, so I, I feel like we may need to cover a little bit more ground on this one and, and, and to, to spoil the joke for those who didn't watch it. Holy God, Moosehead beer is the only beer in this entire film and it's everywhere. It's like, this really feels like, like the Moosehead beer advertisement long form that they just happened to wrap a, a, a slasher movie around to, you know, get an excuse to have literally a billion of these beers and signs and boxes on it. Like, I think every prop in the movie was repurposed from remaindered Moosehead beer uh, inventory. It's really impressive. Yeah, and um, there's like there there's maybe like three scenes in this movie where people aren't drinking or talking about drinking. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you said we had a sponsor, I was thinking maybe just like, you know, like AA, like, you know, someone was, you know, yeah, because of the beer. I, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> P.S. If you actually want to sponsor us, I swear to you, I will read anything you send me if you give us money. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 If, if you're thinking, man, what this podcast needs is me giving it money, uh, we're, we're, willing to, we're willing to listen to you. Um, but yeah, a movie. I guess we watched a movie that we could talk about, too. <laughs> uh, I, did, you, did you enjoy it? Did you, did you enjoy My Bloody Valentine? You know, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it in a... This is one of those things where I enjoyed this movie because I enjoy horror movies and I enjoy them as a genre and I enjoy corny, questionably made, oddball horror movies. Uh, you know, it's like, and it was I, certainly all of those yeah, things. Yeah, like, like, like this was not a good scary movie by any stretch of the imagination, at least contemporarily. And, and, and it is essentially Friday the 13th in a mining town in Canada. Like, like very, very much so. Uh, yeah. 
you know, there's there's details that are different, but the, the the thrust of it is basically the same. Mysterious killer who's not who you think it is murders a bunch of people, mostly for the sake of those people being murdered, being shown on the screen. And then at the end, you find out why exactly this is happening. And it's because someone had a terrible thing happen and they've lost their mind. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and, and, and honestly, I mean, it's probably not solely Friday the 13th that ever did that too. But that's, that's the funny thing. I, 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 and I th- I'm sure we've talked about this in passing. But the funny thing about Friday the 13th, the original film, is everybody knows that Jason is the bad guy from Friday the 13th. You know, Jason Voorhees, hockey mask, axe, chainsaw, whatever. He's, he's going right. to track him down and kill you. And in the first movie, he's really not the villain. I mean, he's, he, he shows up very briefly at the end in sort of a, a, a psych-out moment to set up the franchise. But it's his mom the whole fucking time. And, and, and so this is the same thing where we the, the, the thrust of the movie is a terrible thing happened 20 years ago in Valentine Bluffs, Canada. Not uh, a real town. I looked it up. <laughs> that's, that's comforting. They had that sign made for the movie. There was the, there's this like big uh, sign in the beginning of the movie that has like a, a big heart on it and like neon lights that are going in, and it said Valentine Bluffs, the little town with a big heart, and that was actually made for the movie from from leftover uh, Moosehead beer pallets. Um, <laughs> so, so 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 yeah, and, and the big the big reveal spoiler alert uh, is that uh, the murderer is actually the son of one of the people murdered by the original murder 20 years ago. Whereas in this film, everybody's thinking the, the murderer is the same guy he somehow escaped from a mental institution and came back when he really? somehow, I thought, I thought the movie was setting up TJ as the murderer. Well, well the, the, the characters in the movie were very much embracing the idea oh, that yeah, the murderer yeah, yeah. was the original murderer escaped 20 years later from a mental institution. And, and the conceit is wonderful too, where you've got this murderer, he he's traumatized because he got trapped in a mine uh, during a Valentine's Day dance and didn't it get dug out until six weeks later? He's somehow still alive and has gone cannibal and eaten the corpse of his of his fellow dead miners and and then a year later he he comes back and and murders a couple people during the Valentine's Day dance to celebrate uh, you know having been trapped in a mine I guess. And he leaves their hearts in heart-shaped boxes. And, and a warning about, you know, never have another Valentine's Day, you know, dance or party or whatever. And then it gets, you know, locked up. Uh, and you then know, apparently of, of, they of all don't... the things to get, like, with his murder request, you'd, you'd think no more Valentine's Day dances would have been not the highest priority one. Yeah, it's like, how about some fucking mind safety instead yeah. of, like, you know, no dances? How about... Yeah, it's like demand that you know, you get competent supervisors who will double check even on holidays. Seems like really where your focus should be. Uh, but but okay, here's an interesting thing about it though, because it partly only seems so fucking absurd because the premise, as the characters are taking it, is that this terrible thing happened with the mining collapse on Valentine's Day, 1960, and then Valentine's Day, 1961, the guy flips out and murders the two supervisors who were responsible for the mine who left him and his compatriots down there because they were distracted by the dance. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and then he leaves this warning, never do this again. And then 20 years later or 21 years later, I guess it's 20 years after the murders, 21 years. Yeah. 1941. Then this takes, I mean, 1961. Then this takes place in 1981. Right. So so twenty years later, they're throwing a Valentine's Day dance. I guess for the first time in twenty years, they're finally deciding mm-hmm. to do it, yep. uh, and, and and then people start dying. And so the the idea is that the guy 
is so upset that they violated his dictum that he's coming back and he's doing the murders all over again. But what it actually is, and, and see, that's that's the thing that that seems like the dumbest fucking premise. Like, why would this guy seriously be keeping tabs on this town just to know if he needs to break out of a mental institution and come back and do some you know repeat murders? It it it, right. it, 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 it the film suffers a little bit for me watching it, trying to take it seriously from how dumb that seems as a premise. And then it turns out that's not what's happening, which kind of makes more sense. But it, it's not like a it's not a real satisfying psychological twist when we find out. We just find out, oh, okay, that's why that stupid thing seems so stupid because it was a different stupid thing that was happening. Uh, so I, I don't know. I guess I guess that's where I'm coming from is like the setup seemed so dumb. It sort of overwhelmed me watching the film of the not quite as dumb explanation of what was actually happening by the time we got to that explanation. Like I'd been so thoroughly fed up by the the dumbness of the apparent premise that the film was letting the characters run with. And and maybe that's unfair of me. I'm kind of trying to think through how I feel about this. Uh, I, you know what? I, th- there was a point at which I was just like, um, there be, between the murders themselves being so absurd and, you know, the premise itself of just like, just even like the initial setup itself, that there was at no point where I was just like, I... This was one of the movies where I had to shut off my um, things need to make sense uh, part of my head and just be like, all right, the things that are happening are the things that are happening, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy this if I just watch it unquestioning Yeah, because there's not going to be any good answers to anything going on the screen. Like, there, there's just so many weird like things happening in this movie that are just weird in, in the – just not, not because it's a horror movie, but just like just, – just, just weird, weird, like – the um, what's her name? Mabel gets killed in her in her laundrette, right? Right. In the middle of the night, or not even in the middle of the night, at the beginning of the night, because she's still shutting down, and this is like a small town. I can only assume it, that place was getting it's shut like down. Four p.m. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the, the the killer kills her as he's as she's shutting down, and by the time the sheriff gets there, a first she's still in the dryer, which is still spinning, which must have been like two hundred dollars worth of quarters. Yeah, and you B, really like, have to feed that machine. The, uh, yeah, and all of the hearts everywhere are turned upside down, which means the killer got a ladder and just carefully rearranged every single heart above the laundromat and in the whole thing. And, and then he was done, and then he left, and nobody noticed any of this. Yes. So it was the just just the, uh, the sort of like sort of parts of this movie are so absurd and so like they, it's it's not that they didn't bother thinking of ways to make this more realistic because they're there that's not the movie they were making it, it's just that there's there's th- th- this movie suffers if you put too much thought into what's happening in it yes i i think i think it's it's uh how do i want to put this it works really well as sort of a template of a slasher film like like it's really it's it it really is kind of like they're without having surveyed the literature i'm going to venture that there has never been a more perfect 1981 Canadian slasher film like like it it hits every note that if I was sitting down and sort of doing a bar napkin sketch of what should be in such a movie it's in there you know you've got you got Canadian beer and you got some goofiness and you got Canadian accents and you got a bunch of murders and you got boy do you have Canadian accents oh yeah oh yeah I I, I got a little bit lost with some of the accents uh, trying to figure out what exactly was what and and where it was the actual accent that was supposed to be there and where it was someone lapsing a bit into maybe their more normal 
accent. Like, uh, I, I really it's, was a little bit dizzy by it. it. It's apparently what's called a maritime accent. Okay. And I've never heard of that before, but apparently it's like an Eastern Canadian, like, island, like Canadian island sea town sort of thing. Um, that, yeah. And I mean, you know what? Honestly, when I used to watch Kids in the Hall a lot, I, I thought like they, they were really just sort of like overdoing the accents on purpose to make them funny. And either A, this movie is also doing that, or B, Kids in the Hall had really accurate accents. <laughs> they spent some time in New Brunswick and they're like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, and you had some like the kids in the hallish, like like they they definitely threw on the a boat sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this this had like there were times like is that French Canadian? Is that what's going on? And yeah, so I uh, I definitely clearly my lack of familiarity with the the spectrum of of Canadian accents uh, provided both entertainment and confusion to me as I I tried to keep up with the film. Uh, right. But yeah, it, it's so. It's, it, like 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 you say, like there's a lot of things in the movie that just kind of don't make sense. They're just sort of goofy in there, and it feels like it's there because someone's like, you know, okay, let's make a let, let's make a slasher movie, you know, and let's let's make sure we got some really cool murders. And as I understand, I think we talked about this a little bit uh, over IM when we were discussing the idea of doing this. But uh, this film was uh, released in 1981, and the theatrical release, which is what I watched, uh, was cut down a bunch from the original cut that they wanted to put out. And then they did a, a, a re-release sometime in 2009 that restored it. And I bas- it mm-hmm. restored like nine minutes of footage. And I think it was basically nine minutes of additional murder footage. Uh, that's, that's what I think it is. You know what? I, I sort of ran into a complication with that because apparently the, 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 the extended cut version of this is 93 minutes long. And the regular cut is 90 minutes long, but they say there's nine minutes of footage. So is there like a, a 80, hang on, 84 <laughs> minute long cut of this somewhere? Maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just like bad explanation of what's there. Maybe it's nine minutes of restored footage where they restored three minutes to a collective nine minutes of footage. So like maybe out of, out of nine minutes of murder scene footage, maybe the three minutes that were goriest were the part that got cut out of those respective collection of scenes or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. Cause yeah, that doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Maybe they just, uh, cut out the, uh, the theme song at the end, the folk song over the credits. Why would you uh, do that? I don't know. That, that song is amazing. We, I was watching with my wife on Valentine's day. It seemed like the perfect, uh, we, you know, we made a really nice meal, uh, cooked it up and sat down on the couch and drank, uh, drank some wine and, and ate our, our tasty dinner and watched my bloody Valentine. And uh, so we get to the end and, and it goes in the credits and it's that folk song about the movie. And that's, that's one Every of my favorite. Every movie should end like that. Seriously. It's one of my favorite things in the world is like, you know, let's sit down and write a song about the movie that we play at the end of the movie. And obviously you've got, you know, shiny examples like uh, the Adams Family rap. Uh, but, oh, but, but this is. Yeah. Wow. How did I forget that exists? Yeah, seriously, you know. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say, uh, but yeah, this 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 clearly predates that, and and it's also there's some really bad rhymes in there. I think uh, I think I made a note about this at one point. The song at the end rhymes regrets with night, which isn't even a slant rhyme. That's just <laughs> that's just, just drunken words. desperation. You're just like, ah, they both have T's and R's in them. Sure, well, there's no R in night, but whatever. 
Do you have that rhyming dictionary? No. All right. <laughs> Who remembers how rhyming works? Like they Nobody. Could, they could have rhymed regrets with egrets. You know, work that in there. Why not? You know. <laughs> maybe there. Maybe there was originally egrets in the film. Maybe some of the cut footage uh, had an egret. But then that got cut out, and they were like, oh, well, that won't make any sense. <sighs> Night, sure. According to IMDb, that, that, that song was added by the composer as, quote, an afterthought. <laughs> 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 and I, I can't disagree. <sighs> wow. Yep. So, yeah, I guess I, I, I don't know. I, 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 we, we should probably talk more about the film. But I guess that's, that's my feeling is, like, I think this is a wonderful – a uh, specimen of slasher film. I don't think it's a particularly good movie as a cinematic work. I, I don't think it was aiming for that. Yeah, I, 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 I understand it. To may, this may have essentially been sort of a follow-on from Friday the Thirteenth. Like the same money may have been involved, and Friday the Thirteenth blew up. It was like, oh hey, slasher films. Let's keep doing this. I, from what I understand, it's it's Canada. Like it, it was like a Canadian economy thing where they're just like, you know, slasher movies are really popular. Let's make one and bring some money into Canada and some you know acknowledgement for the Canadian film industry. And that's that's what they did. Also, part of this movie takes place on Friday the Thirteenth. True. I didn't even think about that. That's that's darned clever of them. Mm-hmm. Takes place over three days, uh, and one of those days is Friday the 13th, which means that this movie, while it says it takes place in 1981, actually takes place in 1980, because that was the most recent uh, Saturday oh. the 14th. Oh, man. Um, Someone screwed up there, yeah. And um, you know what? Uh, that actually, you know, the the this... The, one, one of the segments in um, VHS takes place also on Saturday the 14th. That's right. Is that the... Something the 15th or one of them. Monday the 16th, something like something that. Like was, that. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. it was maybe Tuesday the, the 17th. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah. you know, same week, several years later. Yep. Several dozen years later. 1981. Yeah, everybody sure is dressed like it's 1979. I kind of want to make a movie now called Friday the Umpteenth. Like, it takes would, place in uh, Neverland? No, yeah, no the other one. Wonderland? I, I, I don't know what it would be. I, I, I know nothing about the film except for the title, which is probably a pretty good place to start with making this. It's called Friday the Hump Teen? No, it could um, be um, a porno. <laughs> oh, man. That'd be the porn parody of it. So it, it's a, it's a, uh, Friday the Hump is a parody horror film, and then Friday the Hump would be the porn parody version of the parody. It would go back to being a serious slasher film that also just happened to be full of hardcore sex. Let's make this. Yeah, no, I think this is a good We need idea. a sponsor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Moosehead beer. When you need head and also head. Yeah. Mm. I kind of wonder if they like, like, you know, is it possible that they actually got some sponsorship? Like, like they must have. There's, there's like, I, I mean, yeah, the, but I, the like, scene where Mabel gets murdered, why there's just a case of beer in the laundrette with the logo pointed she, directly well, at the camera. She was, that was the box she was using to carry around uh, supplies. She was using that same box uh, or a box just like it to carry uh, supplies into the hall for the down- Valentine's Day dance uh, stuff when the goofy guy jumped out and scared her by pretending to be murdered. Uh, she was carrying a bunch of Valentine's uh, decorations in another moose head. Uh, uh, box. Well, so it may that may be her good box. That might have been Mabel's. Like like that. Well, was you know, Moosehead. They make really sturdy boxes. It's a solid box. It's the kind of box you can uh, 
yeah. a case of Moosehead beer is an investment. All, all the reinforcement down in the mine, just compressed Moosehead box uh, cardboard. They just you know refurbished it into uh, press board and yeah. Okay, I want to talk about I want to talk about the beginning of the film. Because no, mm-hmm. one of the I, I really do genuinely like the opening of this film as a weird, goofy, like, where the fuck are you going with this? Because it opens with miners or, or people, I should say, it opens with people in like mining Minor gear. Costumes. Like they're wearing gas masks and, and full body suits and hard hats uh, with like lights on the heads. And we get a slow, like, I don't know, couple of minutes of them sort of just making their way, you know, heavy breathing through a gas mask. Uh, through a mine with no context. We, we're, just, we're just coming in. This is the first thing we see, and they're sort of making their way through, and they, eventually they come to a stop. And, uh, and then one of them starts to take her outfit off, it turns off, and you know, she's just wearing you know, a, a bra underneath her mining getup. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, and I, 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 I laughed out loud when I saw it. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, we're going, we're going for the sex in the mine direction here. Uh, so she starts taking off her stuff and it's just this blonde woman in, in bright red lipstick and wearing a bra and and her companion, he t- has a pickaxe that he then thrusts into the wall uh, and then there's a bunch of fondling and, and this is seriously, this has got to be on someone's personal highlight reel of like, you know, this is my fetish stuff. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I actually wrote down the first thing in my notes is really fetishy. Yeah. And at one point, like she tries to take the costume off him and you hear like a muffled, which I guess is no. And then she like lovingly strokes down the, uh, what do you call it? Like the hose coming out of his face. Yeah. The breathing tube or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, and there's this fondling and it's seeming like it's going to get some, some sexy mind sex. And, and then she's got, she's got a heart tattoo on her Mm -hmm. breast and, and he's sort of feeling her up. And then apparently that registers and he starts sort of getting kind of twitchy and handshaky and it's not clear what's going on. And then suddenly he grabs her and just thrusts her into presumably because the film didn't actually convey this very, very well visually thrusts her into the other end of the pickaxe that he thrust into the wall, thus murdering her. And then, was that what it was? I thought it was just like a nail over there or something. No, no. I, 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 it had to be the pickaxe. I mean, yeah, again, I mean, the film, the film does not place. show this, which is funny for a slasher film that they wouldn't like yeah. set it up better visually. But that's the only well, thing that fucking It's dangerous. Sense. You know, you don't want them acting in front of a pickaxe thing. Somebody might get hurt <laughs> like they do. <laughs> So uh, so yeah, and kills kills her, and then we mm-hmm. basically go to credits. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think is what happens there, and my bloody Valentine, and blah 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 blah. And so here's the thing: it's not clear to me whether or not this scene is supposed to be something that happened, or just to be some sort of like thematic overture, because it could go either way. Uh, and I the re- was, yeah, I was actually wondering if this was the thing that triggered him into the murders, or is like this is his like setup murder. Um, cause somebody's bound to notice that there's a corpse in the mine and it's kind of a small town. Yeah. Um, and you know, nothing's, no word is made mention of like somebody finding a dead body or just even a bunch of blood in the mine. Cause even if you get rid thing. of that yeah, body, the there's, film, you know, the film never 
ever comes back to this in any way. And the thing is, you could say, okay, well, maybe he was smart enough that they snuck into this this long, wide opening. Maybe they're sneaking into sort of like an abandoned or unused part of the mine where they aren't going to get interrupted. So, so they could easily have done this, or he could have moved the body to somewhere that no one would notice on the short term. Like maybe eventually, but on the short term, fine. You know, hide the body, uh, and no one finds out, and you know, you manage to get on a murder spree before that ever becomes an issue. Like I can accept that narratively mm-hmm. except for they don't touch that either like there's no indication of that happening there's no indication anywhere in the film as far as i can tell of oh hey what happened to sherry i haven't seen her around there's just the mysterious blonde woman there specifically for a little bit of sexy and murder and then nothing and so it, it, it really feels like i don't know it's a mystery it, it really could be nothing but the film trying to say hey you know it would be interesting if people got murdered and there was mining involved dun, 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 my bloody valentine you know it's and do you think she knew it was axel if it was axel or uh, that's why i don't know i don't know i yeah. mean and she could have been somebody from out of town if there is an out of but if if it's sort of rural mining town it seems unlikely that you'd be like hey let's drive to this other town because then we can go down in a mine and have sex that seems like a it seems like a little bit of a reach but hey maybe she was into it but again we're we're having to invent this entire thing for this non character <laughs> who may not have existed and yeah it's like i really don't know uh, what to make of that? It didn't even need to be contemporary to the other murders, for that matter. If it's Axel and he's this crazed dude who has this issue with Valentine's Day, maybe this was mm-hmm. three months earlier or a couple years earlier, and he was just like, "Yeah." But uh, but it also yeah, no, adds, uh, yeah, it adds a weird dimension because Axel, were sort of given, is a jerk and sort of a possessive jerk about Sarah, the the girl torn mm-hmm. between two lovers. Uh, but then this also paints him as totally a philanderer and, you know, also a murderer. But yeah. Which, to be fair, not mutually exclusive. Well, no, no, the, the, not, the, not at yeah. all. But, uh, but, but again, it's like all this potential characterization that there's no way for us to really tie in because, like, the film declines to, you know, give us anything to work yeah. with there. Uh, but it's not like an interesting mystery. It's not like, oh, this really adds some depth to the character studies of the film. It's just no. like, it feels like a throwaway scene. That, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, because you can't, not, you, you sort of can't start this sort of movie without, you know, just something to set it up like that. I mean, just think about like all of, just basically, you, you can't start a slasher movie with not a murder. It, it you know, um, even, uh, what do you call it? Even when, like, Cabin in the Woods sort of, like, lampoons the whole thing, you get that, like, screechy opening scene, like, uh, with, you know, just the credits popping up on the screen as a, uh, you know, as, like, a take on that. But, you know, like, think about uh, Scream, yep. which I guess is a, you know, different generation of slasher movie. But, yeah, like, you but, gotta but, start but the, the movie off with the fact that Scream started off that way is, to some extent, an expression of how, like, yeah, formula that is, how, how much that right. seems like the classic way to go there. Yeah. Um, and um yeah so um oh here's the thing uh when you uh, in in your cut cuz i'm not sure which cut you watched um was it like was it was it graphic like the pickaxe coming out of her chest or cuz i think most of the cuts were gore um, yeah no no so it was, was uh, it, it it was it was i had the theatrical cut as far as i can tell mm-hmm. um and so there was not yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. That was part of why I was like, I'm going to have to assume that this is the pickaxe because I didn't see, uh, and it may have even been in the film and just not 
conveyed well but yeah i feel like i did not see a pickaxe coming out of her so much oh, yeah, i okay. saw her just sort of like going you know okay yeah no no the cut that i saw like you why like i thought it was a nail but you watch a sharp object emerge bloodily from like her chest cavity okay. it was you know really it was it was graphic like all of the all of the murders in this movie were in the cut that I watched were really graphic, and okay, I'm like so, trying to picture yeah. this movie without that, and it's I, I think it loses a lot. Well, and, and yeah, I've got several places in my notes because I knew going in that I was going to be seeing a cut down version where the murders had been you know significantly uh, boulderized, uh, and so I was I was sort of watching for that, and I have several notes where I'm like, uh, oh, this must be a spot where they cut out some good gore because this feels really sort of. You know, it gets to the so point wait, of being your almost. Your cut didn't have the decapitation in it at all, right? Which decapitation? Um, you know when Howard dies and he falls off the ladder, he's decapitated. The rope ties around his neck, decapitates him. His his headless body falls down, and then his head just hangs from a rope. Oh wait, was Howard still alive with them when they were going up the ladder? Yeah, I guess he, he was. He was. The, he's I, <laughs> the second to last death. This, this, after the, this speaks, I guess, to how uninvested I was in the character of this film because I couldn't figure out what happened with the ladder scene. I, my my actual takeaway from that scene was that mm. they were going up the ladder and then they came across a dead body that was somehow <laughs> suspended up near the top of the ladder, and then they're like, "Oh shit, we should go back down." I was like, "What is going on here?" First of all, how did you get a dead body suspended up there? And who was it? And what's going on? And I seriously forgot that Howard was alive and with them up to that point and must have been killed. And yeah, I think yeah, the third part- act sort of falls apart as far as, you know, what's going on, who's alive, where anybody is. It, it, yeah, they, 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 they sort of lose track of what's going on in this movie. And as do we. Um, but yeah, what happens is like Harold just slips on the ladder, falls off, gets you know decapitated by a rope, and then they all they all just assume that Harry Warden's up there, and then they go back down. <laughs> that's that's both better and worse than what I saw. Yeah, and you know, all I can think is just Axel thinking it's like, well, that was a freebie. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I, I I think that is a good example of how the cutting may have seriously. Mm-hmm. fucked with the floor of the film all the time. I mean, and, and I don't think it fucked with some of the other murders quite so much because for example, the, you know what, let, let's just go, let, let's just go through the murders and we can figure out where the cuts were. Okay. So, so yeah, um, we, we've discussed so, the opening scene where, yeah. okay. So, uh, Mabel, Mabel. Um, uh, now there wasn't any gore when she was actually murdered. Like there was actually a scene where the pickaxe goes directly into her and there's no blood or anything, which I found weird, but then she, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Newbie, uh, Sheriff Newbie or chief Newbie or whatever finds her in the washing machine. And you know, that goes for like a good five or six spins. And I think in your cut, it, it was, there was a lot less spinning corpse. Yeah. She just sort of pops out is what I remember. Like, and and, and, you know, she's, she's a horrible corpse, you know, at least. Um, yeah, so in the, in, in the cut, like, you know, there's the scene with, like, the horrible corpse, and he reacts in, like, that weird way everybody in this movie reacts to corpses, which is not <laughs> screaming, but just sort of, ooh. Like, you know, you move the refrigerator, and there's a dead mouse down there. Like, that's the reaction people have to, to like, body parts in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it just starts, like, spinning in the dryer, like, going thunk, 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 thunk. Um, so that was that. Who was the next one? Um was it that no it was the uh it was the bartender yeah the bartender goes to the mining area to set up a prank for the kids uh he sets up a dummy of harry warden in the mining thing with the 
with a pickaxe, and when you open the door, a rope pulls. Really elaborate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, this guy, we lost this guy too soon. He was a talent. Like he shouldn't have been doing Valentine's Day murder pranks. He should have been doing haunted houses because. Because, man, he knew how to set up a, a, a prop with moving parts. But and anyway, yeah. this narration? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Seriously. The, the guy was born for it. Uh, so, yeah, he opens the door to test his thing, and it works. You know, and the pickaxe comes up. He's like, yeah. And he closes the door, and he opens it again. And it works. Yeah. And he closes the door. He opens it again. It felt like it didn't work so well that time, actually, to me. But Yeah, but yeah. Nothing came but up But he didn't time. seem bothered. And then he laughs maniacally and goes back for a fourth time. And there's, you know, no, the no, no, murderer. No, first he... He walk. He closes it. He walks away. Looks satisfied. And then there's a look in his face, like I should test this one more yeah. time. And he goes back, and there, you know, he gets it. Now, so in, in the cut that I saw, you know, the the pickaxe like goes through the bottom, like of his of his chin, like from under his chin, going out his eye. Gory as hell. Uh, what, what did yours look like? Yeah, I don't remember anything specifically. I think it was basically pickaxe moving a uh, horrible scream cut. Right, okay, yeah, the, the pickaxe, like, uh, uh, pokes his eyeball out, basically. Oh, wow, so yeah, you see no. the pickaxe where the eyeball should be in the eyeballs next to it. I, I don't think I got uh, anything as good as that. Wow. Uh, so, you, you know what else was funny about that? When they, when, you know, because the, the, the impetus for him, uh, what do you call it, doing that prank was because that they were going to have the, they were going to have the, the canceled party. They were just like, well, let's have it at the Mines Rec Center instead. And, you know, TJ is just like, it's like, you can't stop us from doing this, old man. And don't tell anybody about this party we're screaming about in the only bar in town, apparently. Yes. You know, make sure nobody except like the 30 people in here who are probably everybody in this town finds out about that. And also, you can't stop us from doing this thing we're telling you we're going to do. You certainly couldn't do it by ignoring my directive not to tell someone and just tell someone. You definitely can't go to my dad who's in charge of the mine and tell him that his son's going to break into the mine rec room and throw a party in there, you know. You know, it's um, – the other thing is, like, did nobody uh, did nobody notice that, like, everybody in the town, like, all the youth in the town are mysteriously missing? It's like – because uh, the sheriff, like, the night of the party, sheriff was like, well, things are all quiet here. It's like, well, shouldn't that give it away that there's no, like, you know, antics going on at the uh, – at the old, uh, you know, surplus yard or the junkyard or, guess, and, and, you know, there's no drunk driving as the, that they, they enjoy doing. It's like, you, you notice that, like, all of the assholes are missing, basically? <laughs> they assumed that everybody was at home uh, doing their mining homework. No, oh, yeah. Being super studious. Uh, yeah, that's also, that's another weird thing. It's like, I feel like we saw a whole, there's the, are they in high school or what question? And part of this may be, uh, if these are like townies who decided to just like you know stay in town and work in the mine because that's what you do, and so maybe they're like, I'm not I'm not going off to school. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna you know, work in the mine. So you know you could be getting about that pretty quickly. And Canada, at least parts of Canada, has had historically a, a, a younger drinking age. Like I remember my dad mm-hmm. talking about driving up across the border because you know you could drink at 18. And, yeah, and we used so, to do that. So it's totally plausible that these are in fact like you know literally the kids in town. Uh, and the whole thing has sort of a weird sort of high schoolish feel to it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, most of these actors seem to be in their 20s. And it's that whole, are they playing young or are they just acting like idiots thing that you can never tell in a lot of horror yeah, movies? Yeah, I, I, I figured... I figured it was that, that, you know, they've, you know, it's like, you know, maybe they've been working, they, they graduated from high school like four or five years ago, and they've been working in the mine ever since, and, you know, there's not been really a reason to live life any different than they lived it before. Yeah. So, you know, they're still, you know, the way they are, um, because, you know, why not? But it also seems like um, a weird sort of concentration of age, like there's a there's a bunch of 
kids basically the same age in the town, and we don't see a whole lot on either side of that. I mean, you could just say, well, some of the guys who really obviously look like these these are not 22-year-olds uh, just really weren't, you know. But but at the same time, they're treated – it's such a, a weirdly unstratified social dynamic. Like there's a ton of people this exact same apparent age cohort – and and not a whole lot of evidence of, yeah. of bands on either side. To be fair, like the, the, the entire cast of this movie, I'm going to say, is like 16 people. We only ever see like 16, at the most 20 people. Sure, but they, they should be represented. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe the reason everybody looks like maybe they're supposed to be 20-ish or so is after the, the previous Valentine's Day murder thing in 1961, mm-hmm. everybody just really, really, really didn't feel romantic for a long time. And so they just stopped having any kids. They, hmm. just, they just, they were so like, that's how pervasive it was. And that's, that's why they haven't had a Valentine's day in 20 years is literally everyone's been in full on like PTSD induced anhedonia. Uh, and, and so there are no, you know, slightly younger kids cause no one was even producing any cause they just, you know, no, that could be, that, that could very well be it. Um, um. <laughs> I think we're on. Or the town is cursed. That could be too. It could be a curse. Curses are good. You know what? Or 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 could just be that the mine is constantly killing people, which is pretty likely because you know the first scene in the mine when you know they're they're all like in the apparently that they needed those like mining headset you know the uh, the gas mask things because they were clearing the methane out and you know they all come out of there. Um, and they all take their masks off, and it looks like they're, they've got fucking blackface on under that, because, I mean, it's a coal mine. And they're just like, it's like, yeah, we cleared the methane out. We won't need these things anymore. And we're like, no, no, you really need those things. You're working in a fucking coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, this isn't like 1860. It's, you know, it's 1981. You, you, you know, you, you know what happens when you go down into a coal mine. There, there, there's coal, and you inhale it. Yep. Maybe you should keep the thing on. off gas, um, motherfuckers. Oh, but, but so we were we were going through the murders. Oh yeah, uh, so uh, so, that's yeah, that guy. so the bartender gets murdered uh, much better in your cut than mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to uh, say that was that was really fucking Johnny on the spot of Axel to be apparently aware this guy was setting this stuff up, getting himself all dressed up in his murdering gear, just like he's expected to be, yeah. hiding really nearby, and then after the third test check of the dummy. Deciding that the guy's probably going to come right back, and immediately, apparently, getting the dummy completely out of the way and getting in position, like in the space of those five seconds, without making any noise, like that was a really efficient surprise twist murder decision that he made there. You know, he's he's like fucking black ops, honestly. Like th- this guy is the James Bond of small town killers because. You know the 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 scene with the, uh, the the shower scene where he murders the girl and like impales her in the shower and he makes like all of those suits come down. How did he coordinate that? I don't know, but that girl that was, was pretty you know, uh, closed yeah. phobic. Oh no! I actually wrote sunglasses in my notes notes before that word. Um, yeah, he. It, yeah. Maybe he, he his insanity grants him some sort of you know like quasi supernatural powers like a Batman villain. Yeah, I kind of do and kind of don't want to rewatch it trying to track his apparent location throughout the film. Because like, I did, it makes sense exactly once, <laughs> exactly <laughs> once when he gets kicked out of the bar and then somebody gets murdered. That's the one time it makes sense, and the rest of the time it's just like it. You, 
not a lick because oh okay so the next murder it's uh, the greaser kid that gets boiled right 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 boiled um, in hot dog water yeah so uh, what I read was that your cut did not have like the final reverse shot of his face like basically like really severely boiled uh, like, like, before the scene cut like, like like shot from within the pot apparently yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no there's, no it's like yeah so, I got someone uh, so, someone off screen holding his head down in the water for like you know three or four seconds and, and okay, then yeah. nothing more until <laughs> the guy goes in the fridge to get the beer and doesn't notice mm-hmm. that his corpse is in there yeah that was hilarious <laughs> um, one of the genuinely <laughs> funny moments in the movie um, but yeah, so there's there's a shot like from like basically underneath, like you know, like that Sunset Boulevard drowning shot of his face, um, and it's like you know the or around the eyes and mouth, it's like all white because like the flesh is boiling off. Um, so much of like the goodness of this movie comes from the gore effects that I'm I, I I'm saddened that your version did not have any of them. Of uh, yeah, no, it, it was an interesting experience to watch it knowing that they were missing because it's like come on, it's a fucking slasher film. This is the only reason they bothered to make it, and then you cut it yeah. out because uh, possibly, possibly just the sort of like horror film panic at the time. You know what's really weird though? All of the gore scenes look like they're either shot with a different camera or they're definitely shot with a different light setup because the color becomes really washed out. Um, the and it looks like the film grain changes. Huh. And I'm not sure what's going on there. Like, I know they had to shoot a bunch of this movie with, like, special cameras and special lighting because they actually shot it in the mine. And the mine actually has a bunch of methane in it. <laughs> um, and you need to be careful because explosions. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, like, you, you, could, you could tell the gore scenes were shot, like, somehow differently. And I just, I just don't know enough about filmmaking to, 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 to point it out. So, hey, if any of the listeners know... What the hell I'm talking about? Because I don't. Uh, let well, us know. And I, I I'm wonder. Really it's curious also about that. It's also possible. It could just be that the restoration process uh, was not like superb, or or maybe the the existing the existing film stock from which the restoration was done was not in great shape or something. Because if if all the scenes that seemed notably different are also basically the scenes that got cut from the theatrical release, it's mm. possible that the footage that was used to put it back together was not in super great shape or something, and so. They did their best to sort of match it in in post, putting it back right. together, but uh, didn't quite get there. I don't know. Couldn't. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see this footage at some point. I need, I should uh, I should track this down it, by comparison. You know, before I forget, the rec room party uh, had a really wonderful scene where um, so Axel is you know clearly got drunk and he's being a dick to uh, Sarah, Sandy, Sarah, right? Sarah. Sarah and she's just like let go of me um and you know he's being really shitty to her and then you you like you know uh, TJ like does like the badass thing where he's just like he doesn't even turn to Axel he's just like well you better let go of her and um she, you know like he turns around they're about to start a fight and he just sort of like gently pushes him away Axel slugs him in the face knocking him onto the um the hell was that that was my cat knocking shit over on my desk oh my cat everybody uh, your cat's doing foley for my explanation. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah. So he knocks TJ over onto the thing. TJ gets up, turns around, tries to throw a punch. Axel does a really good job of ducking it, tackles him back onto the pool table, and then Hollis just like grabs both and being like, "What the fuck is wrong with you two? It's a party." Um, and you know, really, just Hollis is a badass in this. He's like the he's, he's sort of like the gentle giant of this thing because he's a, seems like a really cool guy, and then he just like really deftly, you know, like 
sort of uh, takes care of both of them. But then, um, so he kicks Axel out, uh, and then, you know, uh, TJ and Sarah start talking, and he's just like, uh, I'm really sorry, you know, you had to see that. I'm just like, had to see what? You getting the crap beaten out of you repeatedly? Because that did not go, I don't think that went as planned. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you just got punched a bunch. Um, although it's, uh, I, there was a different scene where, um, the first scene in the bar, um, when, He's yeah, because he, he's always like hanging out in the corner. Uh, you know, TJ's always hanging in the corner, having a cigarette or something. Um, and he, you know, he's hanging out by the jukebox with the the girlfriend of I think the greaser guy. Uh, she's always wearing that hunting vest. This is the single most beautiful woman in the entire movie. Doesn't have a single line. Uh, but anyway, so. Oh, yeah, and then Sarah comes over to the jukebox, and he just sort of, like, bends himself over the shuffleboard table, basically sticking his ass out at her, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and the thing is, I didn't know shuffleboard, like, on a little table thing. Like, I've always I've really seen shuffleboard, like, you know, the cruise ship version, yeah, yeah. like, sticks. So I've never seen the table-based one. So I thought what was going on, and the shuffleboard thing isn't actually... In the um, shot, really in the shot. Yeah. So all you see is his hand moving and like the clacking sound. And I thought he was just playing the most violent and slow game of table hockey ever. Because <laughs> you know he just like it was like, like really sharp arm movement and like a clack, and then he does nothing for a couple of seconds. And just like the other person, it's like, oh god, I really don't want to eh, clack. Uh, a, no, I really a, don't want to play this. It's a hundred foot long air hockey table, and so it just takes that long to return. <laughs> And if you get the sort of bouncy back and forth sideways thing, oh, that's just a minute's going to go by. Uh, yeah, no, I thought that was really I, – I knew it was uh, shuffleboard just because I've seen that in, in a couple places. Uh, I think there's somewhere in town that like, – like some bar I've been to in town here that has a, a shuffleboard table. But it's really something I saw uh, in a few spots uh, on the East Coast actually was the first time I really saw it, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's weird. But he was also – that was some like I don't think he was playing shuffleboard. I think he was violently chucking shuffle pucks <laughs> down the shuffle because like that's it's like if someone decided to go curling by losing their fucking mind and throwing the stone. I was like, no, no, it's it's a little bit of finesse to this game, you know, played correctly. You can't just like, yeah. And in the uh, later scene, Axel's playing shuffleboard, and then he sees TJ, and he goes to confront him, and he just grabs one of the pieces and takes it with him. <laughs> He's gonna brain him, I guess. It's, shuffleboard uh, tables seeing a lot of abuse yeah also that jukebox is fucking amazing did you see the jukebox i didn't really pay attention to it i mean i know, I know it was there but just jukebox it's got it it looked like you know just like a like a sci-fi computer thing because um it, it had like you know the big jukebox body but it was like twice as big as a normal jukebox and then above it it had like the song menu and it was like this um what do you call it it was a uh like sort of a uh like a crescent shape like it was curved it was just really really gorgeous piece of work um this is the episode where Yakov outs himself as a jukebox enthusiast i i am if there's anything i'm enthusiastic of it is the jukebox if you're a jukebox company and would like to sponsor our show please reach us send at, me uh, a jukebox and consider <laughs> yourself sponsored we'll we'll we'll, we'll Wait, set up no. your we'll set up your jukebox in a uh prominent public space and stock it with episodes of our podcast. And so people can be like, you know what I feel like jamming to? An hour and a half discussion of the seventh Hellraiser movie. And then people would start dancing, and that'd be the entire film. It'd just be an hour and a half long dance scene, people dancing to our... And I uh, guarantee you, it'd still be better than what I do in front of Jukebox, which is just put on Jolene as many times as I can. Oh, God, golly. 
Uh, so, so again, we were talking about the murders. Okay, uh, yes, so the, we got, the um, boil face murder. Yeah, was we didn't get to see that. that. Was the, the uh, oh the, the 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 sexy couple murder the um, yes the, I didn't remember the names uh, but yeah so they're they're making out in the like in the shower slash dressing section of the um of the uh, what do you call it of the mine yeah. where the movie actually opens <laughs> the, what do you uh, call it the mine oh yeah, yeah that thing <laughs> the word it's a hard one I can't uh, 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 office no mine yeah. um but yeah so they they they're making out you know the most romantic place possible which is like sitting below all of these like hanging weird ass uniforms like th- isn't there a car in the back of which you can fuck or something because that's just creepy they just like to mix it up yeah they just you um know. and uh yeah, so they're making out and there's this wonderful thing where she's just like hey you know what we need he's like oh i got one right here and he pulls out a condom just like wow that is this is a canadian fucking movie <laughs> um well, I like how that's not the least smooth thing that happens. Is then she comes like, no, no, a couple of beers. Because like, you know yeah. what you want during like you know just like feverish you know really hot sex is to be full of a carbonated beverage. Yeah, let, let's stop and drink some cold beers right now. Yeah, uh, you know. It's like, but hey, whatever. It's it, it, that's what she likes. That's what she likes. That's fine. But yeah. uh, and that's you know he's just like um just like you know I'll be right back with the beers and she's like let me go with you. He's like no, stay here for no discernible reason. There is no reason <laughs> well, to get murdered. You know, I mean, yeah. how else is she going to get murdered? Uh, <laughs> and. and- that's the one time that Axel. Because wait, hang on. Does that shit? Does that happen before or after TJ and Axel have a fight? I think it's after. I think it might be after. But because because Hollis kicks him out, uh, and I guess that's when he gets into his gear and goes to murder her. Yeah, yeah. And no, then blo- gets out of his beer and then goes back into the bar to it, be there when all the people start showing up, being like, "Help! This guy got murdered, and this girl got murdered." Yeah, it, it, it took me a while to start figuring out or remembering at least who some of the people's names. So Axel was actually just blonde dude for much of my notes. He was, so first- he was yeah, he's blonde dude that doesn't have the really thick accent. Cause there's yeah. a blonde dude who's got a really thick accent. Well, but then every once in a while Axel has a really thick accent. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, he, he it's breaks weird. It. Yeah. But anyway, I, I have a note here after random kid murdered in hot dog water. Um, uh, then I, then, then I note blonde dude Frank dramatically Zappa's opens blonde. a beer while flouncing out of party. Mm-hmm. And and it's a really it's a really great beer opening flounce I gotta say it's uh, I think it's because it's that style of pop top that older style of pop top where you literally sort of rip it off the thing and so he just like does like this if if opening a beer was like professional uh, you know ice skating like this was a really well executed move like he's furiously just pops the top the Olympics a lot? while spinning no I just I'm, I'm always thinking about figure skating uh, he just pops the top and sort of spins and there's a trail of sort of beer foam coming with the thing and and just the whole thing is just it, it's really i thought it was the best beer opening flounce i've ever seen in a film uh and and then and then the well, sexy that's why he happened won down the there. uh the canadian oscar yes <laughs> now, now axel of course played by neil affleck uh who is as far as i could tell completely unrelated to ben affleck <laughs> Uh, but did work on The Simpsons some. So. Oh yeah, he did. And uh, TJ is played by a imperfect clone of Rufus Sewell. Uh, that was the beta version, and then when they perfected it, we got Rufus Sewell. I'm, I'm gonna, in Dark City. I was gonna say, like, like I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't uh, check to see, but I was gonna. I watched this whole movie thinking, man, this is a really fucking weird Dark City prequel. Like, like maybe that's why nothing makes sense in the movie is because this is actually also 
happening in Dark City. And uh, yeah, this be- is before him they younger. Got, yeah. Before they decided to do like, you know, noirish, uh, you know, skyscraper place, they, they, they tried to do a uh, Canadian mining town. Yeah. And eventually Keith or Keith or Southern was like, there's no sunshine there either of Canada. And they reworked the whole thing. I need to watch was, Dark was City again sometime. Single sunny day in this movie. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It felt it felt like a very overcast. Well, okay. So there was a brief moment. Uh, TJ and Sarah wander off to their special place, and and maybe maybe they cut something from my version that was in yours too. But the music, the scene, and the music abruptly changed. Like like they they, they go off. He talks her into coming with him, and they go to their special place. Uh, and then like we cut to sort of idyllic lighting. Or at least idyllic for this film by comparison. Yeah. So I can't say for sure it was sunny, but it may have been slightly less overcast. Uh, but they put a warm filter on or something, and just abruptly, immediately, some romantic music that totally is at odds with the tone of, of most of the rest of the film. Oh yeah, no, that uh, that that was it was exactly like that mine. And the single least appealing on screen kiss I have ever seen. <laughs> it, yeah, it was really not a great romantic interlude. <laughs> Because, I mean, uh, TJ is not a guy you want to do a lot of close-ups of because he's, he's, he's weird-looking. And that, that, you know what? That was also a thing, just, just a really severe mismatch of attractiveness between the men and the women in this movie. Did you, did you notice that at all? Where, like, the, the guys are all just like, all right, they're just like sort of schlubby dudes that work in a mine, and the women are all very good-looking. It was, it was just a really odd mismatch between the two of them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I guess I was not overly struck by it. I mean, I I, I agree. There's a general goofiness to the guys, uh, but uh, I don't know. It didn't jump out at me hugely. <laughs> I mean, mostly I spent the time staring at Hollis's mustache. <laughs> Hollis's mustache. Hollis is like uh, the Canadian John Candy with a giant mustache, <laughs> um, and a lot more good natured. Yes, I I, I kind of wish Hollis could have been in a different movie. Uh, like Hollis in like a, a, a Canadian animal house instead. Yeah. Would have been great. Uh, and maybe he is in, in the movie that happens after this, but before Dark City when they uh, rework everything again. Um, also, at one point, Howard was where they all have like hats that have patches that they put on them. And Hollis spends the movie wearing one that says, uh, kiss my, and then there's a picture of a donkey's ass. Um <laughs> And at one point, Howard, he's always switching up his hats, but he's wearing one that's got a big pot leaf on it. And it says, um, what is it? It was like, it was like Cannabis Club Cruisin' or something like that. Just, <laughs> and I tried to Google it, and I couldn't find anything. So I guess it's just a weed hat. Okay. And, then, and, and then later on in the movie, he makes a reference to uh, snorting Coke. But as in Coca-Cola, because he, he like, repeatedly snorts <laughs> That's how he gets the party going again after the fight. Like, be- before the fight, he's snorting beer up his nose with a straw, and everyone's like, oh, Howard, you class clown trope in this film. And then, and then the fight between TJ and, and Axel happens, and, uh, and, then, and then he kickstarts the party again by doing the other nostril. And it's the dumbest sort of, like, desperate, hey, I, I showed you how to do one, but here's how you do the other nostril. I'll do the same goofy thing again. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, let's, let's go back to having fun. This is, it, okay, good job, Howard. We're all having a good time again. Uh, and, yeah, everybody seems to, everybody except Gretchen, who Howard is clearly into, seems to like Howard. Like, even Mabel, like, when he, show, when he like, freaks him out by covering himself in paint, she's just like, oh, I gotta go do all of these over. Thanks a lot, Howard. And he just, like, looks at her, and she, like, just does a, oh, I can't be mad at you face, and then just walks away. 
<laughs> oh, Howard. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we started talking about like murder number four, like 15 minutes ago, but anyway, she's down there, they're making out, stop, go get some beers. And then she gets murdered in the meantime. And so what I see is she hears the showers turning on and she goes to, and then she gets freaked out by all the clothes falling, which as you note, how the hell did that even happen? Did, did Axel rig up a bunch of remote clothes line triggers? Cause the film actually establishes that you pull on this rope to make the clothes come yep. down. So so you've actually established that it's problematic that the next thing that happens in your film happens because uh, yeah, they, 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 like they don't all come down at once. They follow her as she's running away. Yeah, it's 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 like it's like a scene out of like the Canadian Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. that they repurposed as not a dream sequence. Uh, but then she ends up in the showers and she ends up murdered. And this 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 has to be one of the bigger cuts in it because like you don't even get a murder in in the theatrical cut you just get the guy eventually coming down and finding her in the shower mostly not on screen like i could tell that she must have gotten shoved onto a shower head and so water comes spouting out of her mouth is what i'm taking from this but only because you got sort of an oblique shot of him in frame reacting to her her sort of on the side out of frame shot from three quarters behind what looks like an open in silhouette mouth and yeah. And water yeah. coming out of it. And that's like all like, you have yeah, to piece I figured that that's whole what thing would be together. Cut. So yeah, in the, in the, in, in the, in the, in the, the one that I saw, he actually grabs her, uh, by like the, uh, the, the upper arms lifts her up and impales the back of her head onto the shower thing. And like, you know, blood, like the thing in blood comes out of her mouth, like pouring and her legs twitch. And then when the guy, uh, comes back in, um, he sees her and there's just like a slow pan, like up from like around like her waist level to like to the point where her nose is off like above screen. So you see, and you see like the water coming out her mouth. Yeah. Um, and it's bloody. Uh, and then there's the shot that you see where she's in silhouette and the water's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that, that was that murder. Um, I'm looking at a a shot of what looks like the moment of impalement or a moment just mm -hmm. before on the IMDB of that. And it occurs to me, there's actually a nice little bit of like random symmetry to an earlier weirder non murder scene with, I think maybe the same girl and her boyfriend where, where the miners all go hoot hollering early in the film to the dance hall where all their girls are. Uh, and, 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 hug and say hi and kiss and whatnot and, oh, and, and this guy's boyfriend picks her up i feel like pretty much yep. by the head and gives her a kiss uh which struck me as super fuck like you don't pick someone up by the head what the fuck that is just the weirdest goddamn thing i've ever seen yeah uh, but it looks that's... like this is kind of like axel is doing the same physical maneuver but this time uh it's you know a murder which kind of makes a little bit more sense yeah. for it you know what that that scene made me think of? Like when they're coming in and like all the women are doing the decorating. I think the women run this town. Maybe because all the men work in the mine, and I think the women do basically the rest of everything else. It's so. And the guys yeah. seem to have this sort of Arrested Development thing going on. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe this is actually some sort of weird like subtextual anti matriarchal thing where Axel's real problem isn't that his dad got killed by Harry Warden. It's that he's you know fighting the fight against creeping, you know, uh, crypto feminism. Yes. Yes. The, 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 that darn old, uh, gynarchy. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, it's a weird thing, but anyway, so that's, yeah. So I got like that, that was the saddest murder, yeah. uh, 
in the whole thing, probably. Yeah, that yeah, that that does sound really unimpressive. I mean, it wasn't that impressive when you see it. Like the concept was better than the execution, but you know the the. the but at least have the it in movie, there. I mean, come yeah. on. The movie comes off as really low budget at times, but it's not because all of like the gore stuff in this movie is really well done, like practical effect wise. So I, I think you know I don't, I don't know if they got somebody to do it for you know their 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 cheap Canadian money. Um, or, or, or what, but they, they did a really good job with all the gore in this movie. And I'm not like really a gore hound, but like, you know, I can, I can appreciate good practical effects when I see them. And I really, really, really dislike CGI gore because it never like, like the, the, I'm not going to say the shittiest practical effects gore still beats CGI gore, but you, you got to get some really good CGI gore to make it look like you're doing anything except trying to save money. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the, 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 a bad practical effect is going to look dumb and you know, you, uh, you can easily say, Oh man, that's dumb. But, but you can at least sort of see what they were going for. Like the thing that fails is failing in a different way from CGI where like when CGI (laughs) doesn't, come off right like a cgi gore scene it just comes off as it feels like nothing so much as like a bad bit of computer animation like there's yeah. there's this weird falsity to it at a i don't know at a, at a it's like an uncanny valley sort of thing essentially like it it, it it lifts me out of it in a way that's different from saying oh man i wonder how they cheaped up that effect you know if i'm if i'm seeing like you know blood pumping out of a tube and i can see the tube uh it's still a shitty job on an effect, but I don't know. It feels different. This yeah. may, maybe this is us uh, being, you know, I don't know, hipsters or something. But mm. but yeah, there's. I don't know. I, I just I prefer my gore on vinyl. You know, it's, yeah. it's much warmer. <laughs> it's much warmer. Um, you know what actually has a good amount of practical effect gore that you don't see a lot anymore? Um, Supernatural. Also starring Jensen Eccles. Also see? actually having an episode called My Bloody Valentine. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I assume. I mean, all like Supernatural tends to do like witty episode titles. Um, so I, I think that was a direct reference to the fact that he was in My Bloody Valentine 3D. That, that, that um, but yeah, so Supernatural has um, some really good practical gore effects to the extent that you could actually tell when they're practical and when they're CGI yeah, they, almost they, instantly. It, it, it's also had some not quite perfect CGI effects from the portions of it I've watched. Which oh, is, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And, I, I I don't think I'm ever getting back to it either. I I want I want to like Supernatural, and we last time we talked about it, uh, you had sort of argued for jumping ahead to season four, and we tried doing that. We watched a couple episodes, and they brought in the the angel dude who was kind of amusing and not what I was expecting at all. Maybe did we talk about this? I was really expecting that guy, like from from the screenshots and references I'd seen on the Lizard Bits's blog. Basically, <laughs> uh, I had gotten the impression that that guy was like a fussy detective character who they were sort of forced into an uncomfortable working relationship with, but he was like trying to be by the book and he was a bit of a prude and whatnot. And then, you know, the boys were more like, you know, free spirits. And and it turns out, no, he's actually an angel in a trench coat, I guess is what's going on. Yeah. He's like almost, um, he's like sort of like uncomprehending, like, you know, things like humor and he's almost like a Spurgeon, but um, not exactly. And, and and yeah, uh, th- I mean, th- there's a, there's a point at which he loses his powers, and they're like, look, you know, without his powers, he's just an enormous baby, and that was really dead on because he kind of is. Um, although there's a wonderful scene uh, where you know, like he like like his one of his first like big like you know helping the Winchesters badass scene where he basically throws like a holy fu- a fire malt up at a guy while screaming, "Hey, ass butt," which was <laughs> nice. 
Yeah. See, um, and, and things like that, I, I feel like I, but yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it's the show. It just doesn't yeah. quite, it's not We've clicking actually, for me. My wife and I have actually been rewatching it, and like so, you know, we we watched like seasons two through, I want to say seven, and you know, she she enjoyed, it and then we started rewatching it, and I guess she either discovered or finally, you know, decided to join Tumblr, and like fell has now fallen headfirst into supernatural fandom, and so on Valentine's Day, she spammed my Facebook wall with like <laughs> Tumblr-based <laughs> Facebook Valentines. Excellent. Um. So yeah, that was that was pretty funny. But yeah, supernatural. Um, I, I still suggest that you you try to get into it. Maybe I'll maybe I, I'll I might, make you a, a a list of episodes to watch that are really good. Yeah, so, if, if you uh, want to do that, I, we 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 could try and give that a shot. But I, I just feel like getting into it serially is not working. There's there's other stuff I'd rather watch. We just we just recently to continue to not talk about the film and instead talk about random TV we've been watching. Uh, Grim. We finally got around to starting watching. Oh, I cannot stand that show. It's <laughs> So here's the thing. The supernatural parts about Grimm are pretty good. Like, I, you know, I'm not too fond of, like, the, uh, the, the Pacific Northwest sort of mise-en-scene of the whole thing. Um, just because I, I don't find it that interesting. See, you know, that, I, that, I, I, like, that, I like my stuff urban, like a, urban, urban. It's a big motivation for us to watch yeah. it because it's like, okay, this is a show that's, that's shot in Portland yeah. as shot in Portland. Yeah. It's like there's Leverage, which is like supposed to be in Boston, I guess. And they, they, they shoot a bunch of that here, but, uh, but shoot it as Boston. Uh, whereas Grimm seems to really, really want you to know that they know that it's set in Portland. And it's to the point where it, it actually feels kind of condescending at times, like <laughs> watching it, because we'll be like, yes, no, no, we, we know where that is. Yes, because, yes, anybody who's going to know what you're talking about and recognize it is going to be a little bit bothered that you're talking about it a little bit like you're talking to a kindergartner instead of someone who's familiar with Portland. But at the same time, it's, it's entertaining. And, and they call the parts of town that they have the show take place in the actual parts of town they are, the geography they seem to actually be trying to make work. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's almost like, it's like a show made about Portland that's supposed to be about Portland by relatively studious space aliens is how it feels <laughs> like it's a little too on the nose at times. And then they speak a little bit stilted, like, like it's Portland, it's shot in Portland. It's a part of Portland. They say they are the, the protagonists are supposed to be from Portland, but the protagonists sound a little bit like someone out of town trying not to seem like it. Like there's <laughs> an early episode where something's happening at the blue moon and you know, the blue moon is a bar. And if you're going to talk about the Blue Moon, you're going to say the Blue Moon and not the Blue Moon Bar because no one's going to be like, oh, wait, there's – wait, you've seen the perp? He's having drinks and seducing someone at the Blue Moon camera shop? It's like, I mean, that exists, but no, no, obviously it's the fucking – the trouble is at the Old Mill Bar, not the actual Old Mill, the Old Mill Bar. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. I'm a dog. So it's so it's so it's a little bit weird, but but uh, but I'm 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 enjoying it, but it's dumb and not super great, and I'm kind of curious. And it's I would have I have complaints about it that are similar to complaints about Supernatural, but this one seems to be a little bit less trying to be super fucking dramatic, at least out of the gate, right. Uh, and yeah, yeah, so, and it's, it's definitely like a lot. It, it's it's rier, um, and Supernatural does eventually get there. My problem with Grimm is that I really wish that they that that the 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 police procedural part of it just disappeared and went away <laughs> because it's so bad. Yeah. It is like the worst police procedural show I've ever seen. It's like somebody described to somebody what they saw on Law and Order the previous night. 
and that's all of the you know that that's where all of their knowledge of how police work you know takes place i think there's a scene where you know he goes investigating he's just like it's like hey you know um it's like you know we're investigating you know john smith who lives in your building can we see his apartment oh yeah sure why not here you go what happened to him oh he's dead it's like oh okay (laughs) Or it's like another episode where they're like investigating like some homeless kid that disappeared. So they go to the free clinic. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, he, he, he was here at the free clinic a couple of days ago getting like a TB test. It's like, no, you can't tell them any of that. They, 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 they didn't even show you their badges. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and it's, yeah, so the it's really work on it yeah. is just so bad that I, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't do it, even though I was enjoying the monsters and and they were setting up a pretty good uh, they're setting up a pretty good mythos there. Um, you know, maybe maybe if in the later episodes they lay off the the, the procedural parts entirely. I, I, I kind of hope so. We, we've been trying to figure out how to feel about the uh, the buddy uh, cop as well. Because like, oh, uh, wait, wait, is that his monster buddy? Or? No, 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 no. His, his cop buddy, the black guy, uh, who who is totally they're like partners. They're working the cases. Uh, they're they're both doing equally bad police procedure. <laughs> but the guy the guy's lines just feel like. I feel like he's being handed some pretty bad buddy cop lines. Like he's supposed to sort of be the second voice doing a little bit of crack and wise and whatnot. And, and the guy seems like he's an okay actor, but it really, uh, I was saying, Oh God, I'm trying to remember how I put it. Angela's take on it. She was trying to convey like what it reminds her of is like a little bit like exposition in the walking dead video game where there's a lot of sort of like internal monologue describing what your character is thinking as you're going about, which totally makes sense for a video game because you get a little bit inside head, you know, giving you some description of what's going on to supplement the visual storytelling of it. Uh, But it doesn't work so well as actual dialogue in an actual show between people. And so it just sort of falls a little bit flat. Um, I was, I was, I remember what my thought was, was the guy's lines every once in a while, a couple times an episode will have a line that will just feel really flat and dumb. Like it's a line that was fed to someone during the filming of a reality TV show. <laughs> like someone says that sassy thing to add some character to the scene, but they're obviously not, you know, an actor and it's obviously not something that just occurred to them to say. And it, it feels a little bit like that. It's like maybe this guy is actually being forced to participate in these police quote unquote investigations as part of a reality TV show about <laughs> supernatural monsters in Portland, Oregon. Uh, so I don't know. I'll, also, I'm, I'm getting kind of sick of the, the face changing thing. Like it's how they establish that, oh, this isn't a normal person. This is some sort of mythical beast that takes human form. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the face changes and changes back. And it's like, yeah, it was a good effect. But is this seriously every episode is going to be this? You know, it's not yep. it's not superb. So uh, so I don't know. But we're, we're kind of enjoying it so far. So that's didn't we have a movie to talk about? <laughs> I think so. We, we didn't finish the murders. Oh, the next, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> the next couple of murders uh, was Harriet and Michael and Harriet. Uh, was that Harriet? I thought Harriet was uh, was a redhead and that, that was the blonde. Uh, they had the same haircut. I'm pretty sure it was Michael and Harriet because I thought about, mm-hmm. you know, I knew a man named Mike mm-hmm. and Harriet. That, that, so let's assume so. Well, um, let's say barmaid named Harriet. Oh, I, I think maybe maybe that was the I don't know. I don't All right, whatever. Know. Anyway, what, for whatever reason, I wrote down Michael and Harriet. So I think someone in the scene, maybe someone in the scene, Hollis might have misremembered her name at this point. I don't know, but they apparently were killed mid-coitus with some sort of big metal thing in what was probably a pretty cool scene that was not in the film that I saw. I they don't were just, remember seeing that murder either. So, so I don't know if I stopped paying attention for a little bit twice. 
or um, or maybe it wasn't even on screen. But yeah, like the only thing I remember is that they're impaled while you know mid coitus with with a giant like mining drill. Yeah, and 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 in what I saw, they go off to make out. The other guys are like, "Hey, where are they?" And they go and find them, and they just find them very much dead. Like, yeah, not not moving with a thing of some sort through them. So. So what, yeah. there, you, you don't remember actually seeing the impaling I happening? I do not either. remember the actual the actual murder there. Maybe that got ultra cut, mm-hmm. or maybe I just you know spaced because yeah. the you dog was kicking me or something. <laughs> if you weren't raptly attentive, yeah. Uh, so there was that one. Oh, the- so Hollis was next because he stumbles onto that. Oh right, and he gets nail gunned repeatedly in the head, but very slowly. Um, yeah, he sort of the- waits for the guy to load too, doesn't he? He's just sort of like yeah. Do do all nail guns work like that? Like pneumatic nail guns? Do you have to load every single nail into it? Because I mean, you'd, you'd think at that point a hammer would be faster. Maybe maybe, maybe the tech was just uh, not so good in nineteen eighty one. Maybe it was an industrial nail gun that you don't use a whole lot of nails or something. Uh, I don't know. I to, what, if you know about nail guns and would like to sponsor this show, send me a nail gun. And no, please don't send me a nail gun. That that will, nothing good will happen. Maybe we should just do a bunch of like hardware oriented because we're you know we're doing this and we're doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I think there was a lawnmower in Dead Alive. I can get a, like a whole new garage. We, we, we could just yeah, show. we could just like you know, the machete showed up several times in uh, Friday the Thirteenth. You know, so we could. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so Hollis gets nail gunned, but managed to, to, to wander off and yeah. find the other kids. And, and him actually getting nail gunned was pretty cool because he gets one in the head and then you see uh, you see like a POV shot from Hollis. And like every nail he takes in just makes his vision blurrier and blurrier. And then he stumbles out and dies. See, and I don't think that was – I don't think the POV stuff was in my cut. I think you sort of saw him get a couple nails and then and then a little bit later his, him stumbling out and dying. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, and then the ladder climbing murder that, as we established already, was at all comprehensible, apparently, in the cut you watched. And in mine was just, flash, guy is dead, and I forgot yeah. that he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how reliable uh, of a witness I am if I... I, I, I got to go back and watch that scene. I just got to figure out how much it of was it was It was a really cut. complicated scene. Um, not complicated, just like poorly poorly conveyed of what's going on convoluted uh yeah or that's not even the right word yes yeah it was just you know it's like i i could you know the, the blocking wasn't great the the camera angles kept changing and it, you, they're in a fucking mine shaft so unless you know how the mine shafts laid out anybody's gonna get confused in there yep also i was really surprised at the 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 paucity of shaft jokes considering how much yeah you know fucking every, and so on every time they said shaft i just started giggling and waiting for something to come of it but nope and you know the, it never the, came I keep feeling like you know this isn't. It's like well, no, that's too too obvious for this movie. We can't make it. No, that's that's definitely not what happened. <laughs> let's not let's not be body. Let's not be crude. Uh, so uh, the next murder was the well, is Axel Axel being quote unquote murdered by being apparently shoved off? Uh, oh yeah, the, yeah, the one off screen murder in the movie. Which yeah. I mean, at this point, like. I don't know how I didn't realize it would be Axel at that point. When maybe I just didn't notice that he got murdered off screen because I definitely had to on my rewatch when I actually took notes, um, which I didn't really finish because we had to start the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also did all my homework during lunch in high school. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that was like the one off screen murder. And I mean, if that if nothing gave it away, it should have been that because at that point. Um, 
you know, no character had been introduced that could reasonably be the killer, and like TJ was somewhere else when the murder happened, when a certain murder happened. Yeah. Um, in a way that you know he couldn't have done it. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, that was the the only. I, I mean, reasonable. I, for, for all my protesting at the beginning of the film about mm-hmm. how. It, it, I, I don't even remember what I said exactly. I, I was expecting through the entire film for it not to be Harry Warden. I really, I was on board like almost immediately with the, okay, well, clearly it's going to be a twist and it's going to be someone other than the guy that they can't find who's probably dead somewhere. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I never I, really I got a feeling for who. Like, like Axel was as good a guess as anybody, but I just kind of, I think I didn't really care. Like, I, like I was not invested in the idea that I would be satisfied when I got an answer, so I just sort of decided to be like, eh, you know what, we're going to find out. We'll find yeah, out it eventually. it definitely wasn't like a dun-dun-dun twist. It was like a, oh, yeah, all right. Like, oh, uh, that's what's Plausible enough. Because, sure. I mean, part of it, it really didn't feel like, it didn't feel likely that it was Axel. And this is part of why I want to go back and, like, just look at it through that lens, because I, I want to know if maybe it'd be even possible to really get on board with that if you tried or if it's just like, ah, fuck, who cares? Like, it'd be fun to watch it also to make the argument that it was, in fact, TJ and just things go weird at the very end. Maybe Axel loses his mind, you know? Like, could you make both arguments equally well from the material in the film? Uh, I'm sad that, you know, uh, just looking back on it after you find out it's Axel, I'm sad that the the end turns out to be like a shovel versus pickaxe fight rather than like a harmonica off. (laughs) Oh, that harmonica off. I, I love that they like were even like, you know, yeah, we're rivals even with the harmonica in the junkyard earlier on. And you know, you you're you're better at being able to listen to music than I am. Were they actually was 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 TJ actually like playing along with Axel or was he being an asshole? It's you know, I mean, Axel was just fucking around and then then TJ seemed to also be fucking around and was TJ, but was TJ like trying to jam or was he purposefully playing music that didn't fit in with what Axel was playing? Uh, they they seemed to be playing they they were both playing cross harp on on harmonicas in the same key, so it's kind of hard to say at that point. I mean, they were both playing, you know, bluesy pentatonic stuff in the same key and it's it's just sort of like you know, masturbatory you know, fiddling around in the first place on Axel's part. So uh, it's really hard to make a call. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't intentionally clashing with the sounds that, so, so it could be taken as sort of like a, you know, a uh, golden fiddle battle down in hell sort of thing where like, you know, they're sort of like collaborating uh, on a piece of music in an antagonistic way. I don't know. Right. Anything you can harp, I can harp better. Uh, it, it, it it, it almost seemed to me like I sort of read it as TJ sort of saying hello in a slightly dickish way. Like, you know, yeah, so it's, and it's like, like you know, so we got a problem. It was more like I'm yeah, announcing, we got a problem. Yeah, I'm announcing my presence through joining you in harmonica, which I like the fact that they were both apparently carrying around the same key of harmonica too. They're like, yeah, everybody knows Do they come in keys. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the <laughs> thing about a harmonica. It's, it's a fixed, it's a fixed. I'm scale not sure what a key in, is. Like the key of C, the key of G. Well, yeah, no, no, I, I know, I, I, I know what it is, yeah. but I'm not sure how you, how you tell keys apart outside of the fact that they sound different. Yeah, is it the pitch? Uh, it's it's whatever whatever the the base note of the key is. So like the key of G, literally the tonic is going to be a, a G note, and the key of C, the tonic will be a C note. You know, it's like if you pressed like that key on the piano and then played a scale up from there, like da 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 da. You know, it's that's without without going into like physics that's let's just leave it there and say yeah basically uh if you were playing a basic scale or playing a melody in different keys you know it would be a different 
different notes being played, even though the shape of it was the same uh, internally. Uh, and the thing with a the thing with like a guitar, a guitar, it's really easy to transpose from one key to another because you can play all the semitones because it's uh, semitones and and whatnot. Transposing on a guitar is super easy. Transposing on a piano is, is basically easy because it's got basically all the all the all the black notes in there as well. You know, you could say you know everything is a half step. A harmonica, you tend to have a major scale, so you know you don't have any of the accidentals in there, and you have to bend to get those by you know sucking on the the harmonica just right. Um, and so you tend to pick the harmonica that matches the key that you're playing in. Like if someone's playing blues guitar and they're playing uh, blues in in G, then you would want to take a, a C straight harp and play the blues cross harp style on it, uh, which is a complimentary key. This is a lot to explain basically for the sake of this, but basically uh, you need to have the right harmonica for the music someone else is playing if you're playing along with them. Uh, so if you're a serious harmonica player who wants to be prepared, you're going to be carrying around a bunch of harmonicas. That's why John Popper always had a vest on that had like literally a bandolier of 12 harmonicas on it, you know, with blues travelers. Cause like literally you switch harmonicas when you switch keys. So if you're doing different songs and different keys, or there's a key change in the song, switch to another harp. Oh, I always thought that was for his har- harmonica gun. No, no. Well, I mean that too, it's like a nail gun, but, uh, shoots harmonicas out much, one at a time. Much bigger slugs. <laughs> Uh, I think that was all the murders, anyway. Uh, well, there's uh, the, there, there's the girl in the red whose name I'm totally oh. uh, spacing on, who was just who who you know like preluded her own murder when she was talking to Sarah. She's just like, wait till you see this dress. It's you know cut down to here, slit up to there. I might not make it out alive, and she didn't. Oh, oh man! I, I also, wanna... that dress was not cut was not cut down to there where she indicated. Yeah, it, it, it was cut significantly less far down, slit mm-hmm. significantly less high up, and only slit on one side. And like for most of the film where she's in that dress, she is shot probably coincidentally from the other side of the dress. So it appears to be slit no higher than like the hemline at mid calf. And I was like, wow, you really oversold that. But eventually yep. later you, Oh, okay. It does come up the, the leg a little bit on the other side that we didn't go see. Yeah. How did she die? I'm forgetting that. I, I've got uh, a note she here. She took a pickaxe to the stomach. Oh, oh, that's right. That was, that was kind of a, <laughs> yeah. Right after the axle death. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which where man, I guess he got changed really fast. Yeah. Well, maybe he maybe he just threw his helmet down and ran off and got changed immediately while they were running back to see what happened. Yeah, it could be. Um, again, this bears further analysis clearly. But I also like that he, he Axel goes into the water apparently and teaches like there's nothing I can do. That water's sixty foot deep, and it's like. It doesn't matter can, how deep can, it is. Can, can, can you, you swim out? Do you know how <laughs> yeah. to swim? Because that's There's, all. Is there a single rope anywhere in this mine shaft? Because yeah. then you could have saved him. It seems a little bit weird. But they thought they were. And oh man, I. Uh, I guess at that point they were just panicking and running. And I guess Axel was helping that along. Maybe he was just trying to make sure that kept being what people thought should happen, so that he could uh, set up his escape and change and fake out death in the water. But. uh Man, yeah. <laughs> then, uh, then after that, they came like, um, and the next murder after that is, is I guess it's it's Axel's. He's the last death, and well, he doesn't even really die. Um, so yeah, so they get into the mine carts, 
and then they turn the mine carts on, and then as the townspeople are racing into the mine, they're trying to get out of it, and it's like the single slowest like mine mine uh, what do you call it mine cart chase ever because they're both <laughs> really taking their time, like all three of them. Like he's he's just being like, well, you know, I got all the time in the world to kill these kids, and they're just like, we have to get away, but not too quickly. <laughs> um, and then is the what do you call it? Then TJ and uh, Axel have their have have their you know like pickaxe slash shovel fight, which is goes on for much longer than you think it would. Because yeah, it's not a very good fight scene, but it they're, sure they're does happen. They're both very strong, clearly, but neither of them knows how to wield their weapons against somebody who knows how to defend. I I, I guess you know TJ's beaten a lot of people with shovels because you know Axel's clearly killed a lot of people with a pickaxe. But you know when it comes to somebody that's actually trying to do something but scream, uh, they're not very good at it. So it's it's really drawn out fight. That's what TJ was doing on the West Coast. Shovel fighting. He he was trying to make a go of it as a professional shovel fighter, and it just didn't work out. It wasn't even his fault. He was a solid shovel fighter. The industry just wasn't there, and so he had to come back home and and take up mining again because that that, that way at least he could be around shovels. Also, you think if your dad owned the mine, he could give you a better job than miner? (laughs) Yeah, but if your dad's a jerk who's like, yeah, no, it's not a mine, blah, 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 blah. It's like maybe it was a temporary punitive thing. Like maybe it was going to be six months in the mine and then – and then, okay, I'll, I'll soften up and give you a, a, a super position. Coal uh, salesman. Just had to prove that he wasn't being a softy or anything. You know, had to keep morale up. Uh, and that was, okay, so that was, that was uh, aside from the yeah. television, that was the murders in the film, which was, I think, the most important thing about yeah. the film. And, and I do mm-hmm. feel a little bit weird about watching the one where most of the murders don't actually get detailed. But, but, but it's, it, yeah. Oh, we should probably talk about the last fight. So yeah, they uh, they they sneak off into like I don't know a a sub room of the mine because oh, they end up in like a very room, in, in yeah. a little room, um, and then uh, as Axel is trying to kill TJ, he keeps doing that thing where he keeps like you know tugging the supports off of things, and you know shit falls down, and then TJ gets out of his way again, and he gets his pickaxe stuck in another support and pulls that out, and I was just like, wow, this this really feels like one of those video games where you have to get the boss to kill himself by doing that, like you have to stand in front of the support beam, and then when he swings at you, you gotta duck out of the way, and then, you know, after you do that eight times, the shit falls down on him, and, you know, you have to go fight the next Colossus or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then... So at one point, um, Sarah actually, you know, hits him with a really big rock, uh, which doesn't do anything. And then she pulls off his uh, his mask, and that's when you find out that it's Axel. And dun, then, dun, dun. and then something happens, and everything collapses onto him. I don't really remember. And that's when the townspeople get there, and. Um, like the last scene of the movie is, you know, like TJ and, and, and Sarah get out and he's just like, oh, he's in there. And you see like his hand with his ring that, you know, you, you never see this ring in the movie before, which is weird because it was just be like one of those. It's like, oh, it's definitely him. You could see his ring there. But, you know, you got to really set that up first. <laughs> you, you can't just see unless the ring was, says Axel on it. I feel like they're made like part of me was thinking, oh, yeah, the ring that I saw in that shot. But I couldn't remember what the shot was. I think there may have been a ring in an unrelated show oh. I'd been watching. No, 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 no. When they were playing the knife game. Oh, he, maybe that was Hollis it. Yeah. Were, yeah, they they were doing that, like, uh, yeah, that, that, it's called just, like, the knife game. Uh, it was the thing that Bishop did uh, yeah. in Aliens to show off. Um, uh, yeah, so they were doing that in, in Hollis. Also known as Pinfinger, Nerve, Bishop, Stab Scotch, <laughs> or Five Finger Filet. 
wow. That's that that those sure are game names for that. You you, you come up with those names while you're doing the uh, the knife finger part. Yep. Um, on Wikipedia, there's actually some really well done diagrams of of directions that you would go in, and I can't imagine that this game actually has a uh, a a notation for it. But apparently, according to Wikipedia, there's a notation for the way you play this game, uh, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where you see the ring before. Um, anyway, so yeah, so. Uh, you know, Sarah bends down to just like you know, grab his arm or something because I, I don't know. It, everybody's in shock at this point, and um, oh yeah. By the way, this movie violates the last girl rule because TJ's alive. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, so she like the arm grabs onto her. She's like ah, and then you see from the inside, which was another thing that was cut, was that uh, Axel chopped off his own arm. Like at the at the elbow, like you see him like like dis like like detaching like his the lower part of his arm from the upper part of his arm, um, and then he runs away. Uh, oh yeah, Sarah pulls the arm out like, and it's just just an arm, and it's a little moving a little bit. Um, and then they all look through that little hole that the arm was in, like Axel running away and 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 screaming, um, <laughs> cackling, and oh man, yeah, just some really really eighty yard lines. And and you know he says the name of the movie because he says "Be my bloody Valentine, Sarah." He's like, oh, that's the name of the movie. And then he just starts singing. Um, yeah. Oh, and then there was the flashback. The uh, when when you discover that it's Axel, you see. So earlier in the movie, when they're describing what happened with Harry Warden, you see like one of his murders. Like there's some guy getting dressed in front of the mirror, and Harry Warden breaks in the house and kills him. And then you see that shot again, but this time you see that like you know young Axel is under the bed and he gets blood in his face, and yes. which I is guess, impressive that he got blood in his face. That was a mm-hmm. very specific like order of operations to manage to get blood splatter while he's hiding. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the part where he went insane, and it didn't actually take until they decided to redo the uh, redo the thing. Or yes. he's just been killing people the whole time, maybe based maybe. on the opening of the movie. So yeah, there, there's really you know or, no way or to tell. Or potentially the girl's heart tattoo is what kickstarted him, and if it weren't for that's, that, maybe he would have kept yeah. it together. Maybe it was all that tattoo's fault. And you know. There's a shitload of hearts in that town. Like, even not counting the Valentine's Day preparation, there's a big-ass heart in the sign when you come in, so you'd think that would have set him off at some yeah, point. Yeah, it's but. hard to say. Maybe maybe the fact that like they were getting hot and heavy in that opening scene, and then he sees the heart, and then the murder happens, was actually a relatively prescient but sly critique on the part of the film itself of the pro- problematic nature of mixing sexual arousal with violent scenery because that's 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 one classic uh criticism of uh, of of horror and specifically the slasher uh mm-hmm. genre is is this 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 exploitative cross cutting between sexual arousal and violent imagery and and maybe that's you know perverting our children and turning them into you know future murder rapists or whatever uh, so maybe the film was just getting right on that off, off the top and trying to say, oh, see, see, this is problematic, this sort of thing. That's, oh, man. I don't know. Well, according to numerous places, this is Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher movie. So. Really? Mm-hmm. Theatrical cut or the restored? <laughs> <laughs> I um, wonder. <laughs> no, he, it's he theatrical just, cut. He's not, he's, you know, he's, he, he gets a bit seasick at the sight of blood. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he also has a vomit fetish. Uh, <laughs> his own vomit, I guess. Um, 
Yes, yeah, so that's that that that's the movie. Um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about uh, Grim. No, no, no tone because we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier with the mm-hmm. the, the abrupt romantic music in the special place scene. But right. that's that's just sort of of a piece in general with something this film does where it it sort of bops around a bit before it really settles into determined you know murder stuff. And part of it is we open with that obvious like weird murder in the mine. Uh, sexy mining murder thing. And then we get the guys in... So, like, at this point, it is... Even if you'd gone to see this movie blind, thinking that it was actually, you know, a documentary about the band, uh, as of the first scene of the movie, you know this is a slasher film of some sort. Right. Uh, And then we get the guys getting off work at the mine... You know, joshing around, showering, and, and then, some homoerotic horseplay in the showers, and, and then they all get in their cars to some some banjo uh, shit kicking music uh, that's super upbeat, super yeah, and it's like there is no possible way for that musical interlude to make sense in a film about the creeping horror of an upcoming series of murders. Like it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Totally, it's it's. It, See, I'm it wondering work. if it's if it, it was it's just like the sea, like you know the seaside Canadian town equivalent of like you know um, like a like a '90s slasher movie where you like a murder takes place and then you get like the you know the rockin' alternative music in the beginning, like it's the equivalent of that where it's you know it's 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 fun music because you know now you get to watch the kids have fun before everybody dies. Yeah. But, you know, it makes a little more sense with rock music, a little less sense with, you know, like, shit-kicking banjo music. Well, and, and it's the thing, if it was, like, if it was power pop rock, And also, I think like, be... almost a slapstick sort of car racing scene where yeah, somebody, it... where Hollis gets his pants pulled up by somebody else, because yeah, they all... Exactly. Um, it's a little bit, it, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's pushing actual, like, straight-up comedy is the thing. And, and like, if, I think if the rock music is something that's, like, like, power pop that's upbeat, it's similarly problematic you know that it may feel slightly different but at the same time i think it'd still be a, a weird mismatch but what i'm what, what i'm getting at with this mostly is i kind of feel like maybe this is just a straight up difference of eras in sort of attitudes towards how you make a horror movie because i'm not trying to say like you can't do this it's wrong i'm saying i watch this and i think this is failing to engage my sense of tension this is failing to wrap me into this as something where i'm taking it seriously as a story about danger to characters i'm going to relate with like you're immediately saying okay but you know now we got to do the fun scene you know and it's it's like okay whereas a more contemporary horror film I think is more likely to try and play it straight the whole time and try and actually just build tension. And and the stuff that turns out not to be a murder and might be a little bit funny is going to be more things like quick false scares that turn out to be, you know, someone being goofy or a misunderstanding or something. But you still keep creeping that up. You keep sort of saying, okay, we want to we want this to well, get worse and worse and worse. Well, I don't know. I mean, think about something like um, Scream, where like after that first murder, you know, the, the the first bit of it is just you know teenagers doing teenage stuff, and then there's a party, and then like it's only at that party that things start getting tense. Well, yeah, but but Scream, I think, is not the That's, best yeah. example because I mean, it's very knowingly playing with horror tropes. I mean, right. not, not, I, the, the point still stands. Like Cabin in the Woods, to some extent, uh, does the same thing. It opens up. You you. 
you get some goofiness right at the beginning with the start of the road trip. But at the same time, I feel like that film was very knowing about playing again with the idea that the audience is attentive to the fact that this is a film about horror films. So, right. Well, I, th- uh, I think the thing is if you don't, cause I mean, I, I definitely think that there's scenes like that in, 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 in like that, that that's actually a slasher movie thing where you get like, you, you get the big spooky beginning and then there's, uh, and then there's a bunch of just like, you know, people having fun kind of things, or at the very least, just like things that don't have anything to do with murder. Um, because I mean, at, for one thing, you have to you have to give your audience some time to actually care about the characters even a little bit, because otherwise you end up with like uh, what do you call it, Cloverfield, where Which I still haven't seen. I gotta see. It yeah, um, well, you know, because I'm thinking of what else. There's, um, I mean, I guess I know what you did last. You know, actually, actually, I think I know what you did last summer is a pretty good example because it was trying to do everything that Scream did, but without any of the reason for doing it that Scream did. Like it was the because you know, Scream sort of revitalized you know horror and slasher movies simultaneously, um, and then you get you get you got these tons and tons of other slasher movies that came after it, but none of them actually. Well, I mean, you know, they weren't Wes Craven movies for one thing, but um, the the other thing is that none of them they they just did straight slasher movies after that. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd say um, like the difference. I'd say with Scream, you had a very uh-huh. self aware. Uh, genre savvy yeah. film, whereas I know what mm-hmm. you did summer last summer uh, seemed like it was it was genre savvy without the sense of playfulness. Like like it knew that it was a horror movie, and it knew that you knew that it was a horror movie, yeah. and it knew that you knew that it was a horror movie taking place during a renaissance caused in part by Scream. But at the same time, yeah, was trying to play it pretty straight, but still get away with a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. but we know what to do in a horror movie sort of thing where there's a little bit of that character intelligence. And yeah, I, I should watch that again sometime, but I remember feeling sort of the same way. It's like, it was like, it was almost too straight faced for trying to be as self-aware as it was. Yeah. I rewatched it recently. It's, it's, it's all right. It's not great. Um, doesn't really, the only thing it has to recommend it is that it's a pretty, it's, it's an all right slasher movie. There's nothing like great about it. Yeah. Um, certainly not, the, the the acting or the violence or I don't think there was any sex in it. Um, yeah, uh, uh, seaside crab town stuff. It was a uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of crab related things. Right, and the bad guy was like a fisherman that they I don't know something like that. I something yeah I think it was a hit yeah, and run maybe a drunken the, hit like and run. the the the, the reason the killer was killing in that movie was so tenuous, I can't actually remember how they got from point yeah. A to point B in that one. Well, let me come back to my thesis here because I'm trying to I, – I think I can revise a little bit. I, I guess originally I was going to form my complaint of you can't – you know, it, it's totally weird to have this goofiness, uh, like the goofy madcap music stuff. But I think mm-hmm. probably probably what I'm really – noting more without realizing this is how I was looking at it is it's more that I feel like the opening murder is what you can't get away with. If you're going to open up the story with some apparent things are okayness. Like, like if my bloody Valentine had opened with the, uh, with the, the mining, like the guys coming out of the mine and soaping up and going off and whatnot, I think it would have been less jarring to me to have that. Let's start out goofy thing. If it wasn't following right on, a really pointed murder scene. Like at that point, it's like, okay, things are going to descend from here instead of 
how are we supposed to actually get on board with goofiness right after declaration of horrible murder as the tone of this film? So like maybe that's the difference. Like Scream got away with it because again, Scream was being very self-aware about slasher films. Right. Uh, franchise sequels of slasher films got away with it because like at that point, seriously, by the time you're watching Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. You're not really invested in the question of whether something bad is going to happen. You're watching to see who's going to get killed by Jason and how this time. You know, so it's yeah. I don't know. I I, I guess I need to. I want to. I, I got to think on this more because I, I want to find a more coherent argument uh, about this whole tonal thing. But I guess that's that, that's my general impression is maybe this is really just the difference between 30 years ago versus right now in horror movies. Is I feel like right now. People aren't doing that as much. They want to make the serious face tonally uh, consistent, tonally dark horror movie. And and maybe that's kind of a sad loss of playfulness if we aren't getting the goofy slashers so much anymore. But uh, at the same time, uh, how many of those goofy slashers were actually good movies rather than right. just things we like talking about because they're sort of goofy to watch? I mean, I think... Um I mean, I also think like the goofiness has sort of been, you know, they they shift around where it goes. Like you get the uh, Final Destination movies, where it's you know like it it's the inventiveness of the deaths yeah. that's you know that that that's the goofy part. Where it's just like these really sort of just like the amount of sheer coincidence has to take place that it it, it has to be supernatural, um, yeah. and you know and stuff like that. And then uh, which which oh, I, I mean they're they're very they're silly films, but they're films that aren't yeah. trying to be silly in tone. Mm-hmm. Which is its own sort of weird thing, because yeah, it feels like they're at times they're slipping into just like high school drama, but also these ridiculous, ridiculous deaths uh, while trying to be straight faced. And I don't know if that's really any better than banjo music yeah. uh, in terms of like quality filmmaking. So, and I have to say, actually, I just uh, maybe I'm just defending it because I really like the scene where they're all like <laughs> you know half dressed, running out, trying to get into all of their like you know cars. Um and so on. What the hell were they doing in the junkyard? Were they cooking food on the the, the, on the engine the blocks? Yeah, yeah they, okay. They, they were just like running an engine and, and cooking food on it. In that case, there's two jokes I didn't get. One of them is just like, "Hey, protein patrol," and I googled protein patrol, and it means nothing, and I still don't know why that's supposed to be funny. I don't know. I guess um, I thought they were patrolling for yeah. uh, some protein. Like yeah, burgers. The, is it a turkey for the turkey? Um, and there was something else that I really it's probably did not... something Howard said, so it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, yeah. One of them is just like, "Hey, why don't you rev up?" It's like rev it up, and then they all laugh. And I don't understand why that was funny either. Yeah, it's because I, really... I don't understand cars. Yeah, the engine. Uh, there's a lot of heat because you're basically it's a series of explosions happening inside a big metal box. Why would revving it up at that point be be a funny thing to say? I don't know. I guess it would maybe maybe make it hotter. I mean, if you're I think they were all supposed to be high, right? Probably, or drunk, or both. Because they they mention having the munchies repeatedly, and how ha- uh, you know Howard's got the uh, the the hat the, that says Cannabis Club. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. There are a few lines that I really liked in the movie. There was "Suck it in and zip it up, will ya?" Suck it in and zip it up from Gretchen. Um, and then he looks down because, and he looks down not in in like a funny thing. He, I think he actually thinks that his his penis is exposed. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so. there's there's a at at some point in the bar, a bartender or or, or waitress. Maybe it was the waitress who got the song. Uh, says who ordered the moose head, which <laughs> I mean, apparently everyone in the bar yeah. always. You're gonna have to be a little more specific. It's the only beer they have in there. Like so. what? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, oh, you know what? Uh, the, you know what I, I, I enjoyed um, when they're uh, when they're trying to figure out who got the mayor, the uh, uh, the Valentine. He turns to Mabel. She's like, "Wasn't me." And then he turns to you know uh, the, the sheriff, and he's like, "Whoa, don't look at me, buddy." But not in like this sort of you know like kind of like a gay panicky way, but really in like a hey, we only made out once way, <laughs> <laughs> which was yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that. The bartender um, is really grumpy at the kids about the Valentine's Day thing because he's an old time. He remembers. Them. So he gets to yeah, <laughs> beware of what you make fun of, you little asshole. He says at one point, yeah. uh, and then reiterates assholes. <laughs> and it's he's it's a, wonderful. He's like really he, ornery. He's he's like the moral center of basically every slasher film ever. Like he is he is he is like the totemic prophet of the slasher genre. Like he's the grumpy he older a prophecy and rhyme. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's just like, he, he managed to crawl out of the subtext of this, the slasher <laughs> genre onto the screen to basically say, you damn kids are going to get murdered because you're not being respectful of traditional shit. Like that's, that's his, he's right there. That's exactly what he's doing. And then he goes and gets himself killed after building a costume. So I don't know. I want to see a movie that's just him and that clearly pisser drunk sea captain uh, <laughs> that's hanging out at the bar, you know, just having adventures in that town, like pranking people, uh, you know, or, yeah, he was, like, I think he's got, everybody in this town has way too much time in their hands. Um, also, oh, the, uh, there was a scene when, um, you know, uh, I think it was Hollis and... Um, TJ in the junkyard talking about how, you know, things are never the same. And TJ's just having like this really earnest, like, you know, nostalgia scene. And where, where is it? He says it's, um, ah, crap. Where is it? What's that smell? No. Protein patrol. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, it's like, he's like, yeah, it's like, you know, remember when we used to get drunk and race out to the bluffs? Those were great times. It's like, are you really reminiscing about drunk driving? That's oh, and, and and the late in the film, the the chief of police, uh, the kids, uh, well, mid middle of the film maybe, uh, kid gets you know kids getting murdered at the run of the party. Uh, kids bail out of there once they like everybody panics and takes off, and this guy comes fishtailing like a motherfucker down the street towards where the chief of police is parked. And, and, and stops. He's like, "Oh man, there was a murder, blah blah blah. Anybody, you gotta go do the blunder." And the and the the chief's like, "You know, you kids get in that car and drunk drive straight home." I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just like, "Yeah, you get out of here. You clearly distressed and obviously pretty fucking drunk people who just barely managed not to hit me with your car. Why don't you drive some more? Just just continue driving. That's that's definitely a thing to do." I wonder if that's like a thirty years ago thing too. I don't know. Because, I, um, well, for that matter, read, uh, no women in the mine. You know the rule. No, no women, women in, in the, the mine. mine. That that's the rule. Yeah, it's so. It's like no. Know. It's it's like it's not no profession. It's like no non-professional miners in the mine, which would mostly cover the women if you're not hiring women. But specifically, no women in the mine. Men, yeah, yeah whatever. Get, get the fuck in there. Who cares? Um, that was. <laughs> Oh, the uh, when they're at the uh, when they're at the, like the really grungy autopsy, like medical examiner's office, and he shows up with that heart. So first of all, he says it's a woman's heart, and how do, it, can you actually tell 
if you're holding just a human heart, what gender it comes from? Because I don't think they did any DNA testing on that. They, they, maybe you can maybe you can tell relative age by developmental features of the heart in terms of its proportions. So you can sort of guess at the general age, and then from there you could say, okay, well, proportionally smaller, this is probably a woman's. Or maybe maybe there's actually some uh, observable physiological differences in the the details of the structure of adult male versus female human hearts. I don't know. Medical examiners listening to the show, if you call in. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so they're just like it's like, and then um, the mayor's just the mayor, the sheriff. They're just like it's like, oh yeah, you remember the uh, the what do you call it? Oh, what the hell's the murderer's name? Uh, Harry Warden. Yeah, it's like remember the Harry Warden, you know, murders, and the Emmy's like those were terrible murders, but he put the emphasis <laughs> on the word terrible yeah. and not murders. Those weren't good murders, no, sir. That's not how you want well, a murder this, this to go. This town's had a lot of good murders, but no, those were terrible murders. Um, yeah, that was that. That whole scene was weird, just because of how incredulous the Emmy is. It's like, what are you doing, having carrying a human heart around? Um, also, when he gets that Valentine, how does nobody? I, you'd think that a, a a a paper box containing a human heart would smell funny, or 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 be or be wet and drippy or something. Because um, also the, when you know when they pull the uh, boiled heart out of the um, out of the uh, what do you call the it? Hot dog water. Yeah, I think that was a real heart. Might have been. Yeah, that's because that that was definitely the color of boiled organ meat. <laughs> Having eaten quite a lot of boiled organ meat, I, I know that color. Um, I want to note this: uh, at least a couple people in this film also had parts in scanners. Really? It, yeah. Uh, which well, that, I, I is that was that a Canadian production? Because Cronenberg's Canadian. I, it might have been. Yeah, uh, I'll see if I can. Let's see. Uh, now, now that I've lost the the link that I was looking at that had me there. But uh, yeah, no, apparently, oh, and Scanner's 1981 too, so uh, let me take a look. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking for. It's not like I'm like, oh yeah, Patrick McGowan was in Scanner's. i got to see Scanner's sometime. Huh. I've still never gotten around to it. Uh, yeah, me neither. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm seeing what looked like uh, some Quebecois names here uh, in, uh, in the cast list. So yeah, let's, let's assume that's what's going on. <laughs> um, but Hollis, uh, a guy named Keith Knight, who was in Meatballs. Uh, yeah, that looks like a guy that was in Meatballs. Yeah. And, and he's actually, unlike uh, some of the people in this film, he's done a bunch of acting, apparently. Um, not, not, not a ton of anything recently, but he's been sort of working steadily-ish, it looks like. He was in several episodes of uh, the Care Bear TV show. Uh, he did voices on Beetlejuice, the animated series. I watched a lot of that. I'm pretty sure I've seen every episode of that show. Yeah. I saw a fair amount of it as a kid. Uh, yeah. Dogs in this movie. Just just briefly as a thing. Dogs yeah, keep showing up in this movie. And honestly, I feel like they were some of the best actors in the movie. Although a lot one of, of them, dogs in this town. Yeah. At, at one point, a dog really tries to just kill itself on camera <laughs> early in the film. Like the, 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 the chief of police is driving somewhere and he drives off. And this yeah. dog just bolts out of nowhere and like runs in front of the car. Clearly doesn't get hit. And it's, it's just a telescopic shot that like compresses the depth yeah, a lot I'm to make it look good. I'm wondering if that was actually intended when that car peeled out or whether there was actually like a stray dog on set that they could not shoe off yeah i think that dog like, might fuck just, it, just let him chase the car yeah and if he just dies sort of we get a it. shot without him exactly uh so that happens and then later on there's dogs 
uh, chewing at the bloody Valentine heart that's Mabel's heart after the after the chief of police opens the Valentine's box that turns out actually to be chocolates. Uh, and then it's a note from Mabel. It's a posthumous box of chocolates from Mabel, and he's all sad. And then he goes outside. I and, got uh, played. Yeah, and then he sees the dogs, and he yells at the dogs, and he's like, you know, get get out of here. And I feel like that was the most genuine interaction in the entire film, was like yeah, him yelling at those dogs. Like, the dogs were genuinely angry at him. He seemed genuinely angry at the dogs. The dog really took a snap or two at him. You know, you think really... that was like a retroscripted thing where, again, they did not intend for those dogs to show up on set? <laughs> I think they were supposed to be there. I think they were making the noise that he heard that made him go look outside. Uh, but, yeah. but still, you know. Oh, um, all the way to the beginning of the movie, during like that first conversation between the mayor and Mabel um, out on the street, a, a pair of twin girls in matching tracksuits walks behind them. Oh. Yeah, that was, and they're yeah, just like, you know, young, like probably 11 or 12 year old uh, twin girls in matching suits. Just is, is it a Shining reference past? or a uh, Royal Tenenbaums reference? Hmm. Maybe I'm going to say Royal Tenenbaum's reference because this movie was made with a time machine. Right, right. I also want to mention the, the, the long, and this is like maybe the only one in the film that I can remember that was like an extended POV shot, but there's a really long POV shot leading up to Mabel's murder. Yeah. Where you know we're getting a bunch of watching through his gas mask, putting the thing down, hiding, waiting. Uh, and the whole the whole scene there is not done POV, but a big long shot of his is. Yeah. And there's you know a couple other little POV shots in the film, I think. But it was kind of conspicuous for being the one, the one right. they did, and it was long well, enough no, to but then be. It was then was the one right after it when uh, TJ skulking around the junkyard, and you think it's the murderer. Yeah, no, that was that was a that that was a nice sort of tie together. So that in the language of cinema, that was a certainly a couplet, yeah. if you will. <laughs> And, yeah, it's like, oh, no, it's just TJ, like, you know, surly skulking around that, you know, that explains everything. Um, do those gas mask things make the <laughs> noise inside them or outside them? I don't know. Probably, I, I would I, I would think inside you'd sort of hear your breath a lot because yeah. there's a confined space. But, uh, yeah, if it's Because during it's outside that first too, scene, which is not shot POV, you hear, like, the <laughs> noise yeah. like because he won't take his thing off but then during the mabel thing it, if it was really that loud she would have absolutely heard it in the um in the uh what do you call it in in the uh the back office there the uh or the, the, the completely completely quiet laundromat where nothing yeah. is on and it's you know in the middle of the night in the small t- middle of the night it's 8 p.m in a small town yep i feel like what what uh, returning to mabel's death uh or her discovery of her body uh, mm-hmm. There's, I feel like there was more than one dryer going. There was, there was, which, there was numerous dryers going because so, so he the, took a little bit of time to figure out which dryer she was in because he pulls out a bunch yeah. of clothes and sniffs them. So, so, so I think throws them on the floor. <laughs> what happened here? Did, did did they have to unlock the door to get in, or was the did the did did Axel leave? it open and plug the hell out of Mabel's dryer. But then other people came and was like, wow, it smells weird in here, but okay, I got to do my laundry. And people had been doing their laundry or did Axel start several more up with $200 for the quarters as well? You know, it's like, maybe he ah. just rigged it. Cause at the end, you know, he cuts the phone line to the place and yeah, maybe I, he's like an electrical genius and he's maybe, like, everything yeah. in there is rigged. Like the, uh, the, those suits falling down were on like, you know, like a homemade little device with timers on it. And he's, you know, again, he, it's, 
maybe it's less James Bond and more uh, what's that TV show uh, with the guy that's not James Bond? Get smart. No, uh, uh, more contemporary takes place in Miami. Has an Irish woman that doesn't have an Irish accent. Oh, uh, burn notice. Burn notice. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it's like a burn notice thing going on, and this is like the anti-burn notice. Could be. Could be. Also, you know what? You know what I was thinking the whole time watching this, like um, with you know with House of the Devil, like they really. They got the 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 aesthetic of the uh, uh, of like you know the scenery and the pacing and like the the film grain down, but the, you'll never get like the goofy ass like outfits and and attitudes and sheer con- like there will never be a perfect pastiche of this movie. Well, and that's the thing it's, it's, that sort of goes back to what I was talking about too, and it's an interesting point because like I feel like House of the Devil did a really great job of capturing the idea of a nineteen eighties horror movie but at the same time maybe in its self-seriousness in a contemporary sort of like i want to do a really good homage to this thing it it failed to recreate the the weird chaos of really sort of improvising and having questionable slightly more haphazard approaches to these things that you might get in an actual someone throwing together a horror movie sort of thing because yeah there's like the the difference in tone there despite being essentially trying to be the same Era. It's like a classical composer making jazz music. Yeah, it's, it's got a it, it, it maybe a little academic by comparison to the genuine weird article. Uh, but yeah, also there was a, pu- a poster of a puppy with tennis balls in his mouth with the words "You've got balls." In the the rec center, I missed that. Uh, I missed it too. I, I saw but my a bunch wife. of like public safety posters. Yeah, there's a lot of everywhere. that everywhere. This whole film was just full of. And I wonder if that's a, if if they got some funding from the uh, Canadian Public Safety Department because it was like some stop smoking posters and some like you know be careful on the job site posters. And you know, you know, maybe the rec room actually did look like that. Like because all of this was shot on location. There, there didn't look to be any sets in this movie. Yeah, they may have just used whatever they could get. <laughs> oh, one other little thing. There's a, there's a scene early on where we see a mysterious murderer in uh, in in his uh, mining suit reach with a bloody gloved hand and sort of smearing a heart decoration on a door. And when I first saw the scene, I was really just like, this guy is weirdly angrily smearing that decoration and he's sort of turning it upside down, but it was not clear to me that it was an intentional, I will invert the heart symbol to represent my opposition to Valentine's Mm -hmm. Day. But then later with Mabel's murder, the chief of police notices all the hearts are upside down. And it's like, oh, they were going for that with that earlier scene, but it really didn't come across in the scene. So I don't know if that's a clever delay of recognition or just ineffective uh, police work. Uh, well, just cinematically, the characterization, like, I totally didn't go what the fuck it was going for in the movie when that happened the first time. So I, I don't know. I'm curious about that. If it was supposed to be opaque or if it was just not well. Like, because it really didn't look to me like the guy was purposefully doing anything when we saw it. It just looked like a weird flaily, I'm going to shove this dumb heart because I hate hearts and my hand's bloody sort of thing. <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it. But yeah, that that's a... Uh, that's that movie. I th- I think that was all of my notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's about all I got. I'm kind of parched um, now. I could go for a nice moose head. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're done podcasting, moose head beer's there for you. Yep. <laughs> We're really earning those cases of moose head. Yep. They're they're paying us in beer, by the way. I, I, I gotta Canadian say, you know, we, we we have been consistently like you know 
Sunday morning, Sunday early afternoon, I guess for you, stone sober for every single one of these podcasts. And uh, I really feel like we need to do like an evening with drinking podcast sometime just to, just to mix it up. And also because that's what I do during my other podcasts. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we should, I don't know, we, should, we should come up with a good drinking horror film sometime and, and uh, hmm. put one of those together. Drinking horror film. Well, horror movie that's just good to experience while drinking or a horror movie that actually has something to do with drinking? I don't know. Possibly a horror film that we'll need to drink to get ourselves to sit through. I mean, it, it, there's so many directions we could go with this thing. Uh, there's, there's Grabbers. I actually watched that recently. And uh, those are, I, don't, I don't think we should bother doing it for the, the podcast because it was – it wasn't very horror-y. I mean, it was it was taking a horror concept, but it's it's mostly more of sort of like a jokey, slightly deconstructive romantic comedy involving horrible monsters, um, set in Ireland, and uh, it was it was fun. I would recommend watching it, but uh, but it, it's got a great premise because its whole premise is like the aliens are allergic to alcohol, so yeah. so the only way you can avoid being eaten by them is to have a sufficiently ridiculously high blood alcohol level so if they attack you they're like ooh, spit you back out uh which was established to be something like 0.2 was the level they got to that was so yeah it was really drunk um anyway it's a fun movie watch it sometime but uh but that's the first drinking movie i could think of I don't yeah, know. let's see if i can think of some more and if i do you have some low listener can think of a horror drinking movie let us know maybe we should do a live episode at some point we could how would that work? I guess we just figure Probably. out a way to stream <laughs> and toss up a chat room and uh, it could be a good time. Well, you got anything else? Uh, nothing but my commendations for the delicious taste of Moosehead beer. Yes, it's it's the beeriest beer ever to ma- be made from actual Mooseheads. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on iTunes, hit us up on the Tumblr uh, next fortnight, for sure, we really will do Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I rented it. Uh, so I'm going to watch it and make some notes. Uh, and, Please uh, tell me you're renting these things on VHS. Oh, I wish I could. I, 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 they just don't even have them anymore at the video stores. Uh, so it's all DVD. Um, I do have a. Are the DVDs I, like scratched up at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah all yeah, right, good. Yeah. Many of them seem like they were actually, you know, made in the 90s. So. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, Texas Chainsaw is what we'll do next time, and uh, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> enjoy your moose head and and yeah, Mm-mm. stuck the landing. <laughs> enjoy responsibly. <laughs> Talk to y'all in a couple weeks. <laughs>